Okay, this is the, it's a bonus episode, but how could it be a bonus episode if it's the same day as a normal episode, RJ edition? And what does that mean? It means it is Wednesday. It is Vegas. I am RJ Bell. Steve Fezzik is here at the pregame.com offices, but we've made an executive decision. And a lot of this is me to be candid. I didn't feel like I was fully ready for the preview. Maddie Holt had a family matter. And we said, let's do it Monday. A lot of people, Steve Fezzik, for example, would think Labor Day is a day to do no labor, like many other days for Steve in a given calendar year. But to me, I hear Labor Day, I think labor, let's do some labor. So we're going to meet Monday. Maddie, the whole team, Hollywood, Matt, Mackenzie. But what I thought was, well, we can't disappoint the audience, so we're going to do... Nice tight, tw- what's the comedian say? A tight A or something? I don't know. We'll do a tight whatever. You're all warmed up now, aren't you? So, I guess. So we had an extended riff that, like, good conversations that, you know, start talking about this and then that and then this and that. I will say this Fezzik, how would you describe your performance? That's now at the end of this pod. Honest. Yes. If there's any, and I will say this, if you know Salvatore Belomo, you have to listen. If you don't know Salvatore Belomo, you have to listen. (laughs) We'll see how you respond to that. But first, let's do 20 minutes of sports, and then it comes after. You know, 20 will be longer. All right, Fez, game seven. Did that Houston game go final? It did. Houston won by two. I'm so mad. You know, you think sometimes Houston with Harden, they're high. You know, actually, the Lakers-Houston series is probably worth it. I do think OKC should take solace in that. I mean, no one expected this. I mean, in your power, I mean, let's be candid. OKC is probably what? 10th best team in basketball? 11th best team. Very good. One and a half points better than an average team. So who's right above them? I'm going to pick it. T- I bet that the, of the next three, I probably think at least one, I'd bet major money OKC's better. Denver, Phoenix, and Utah. I would go over Phoenix so fast your head would spin. Oh, look at you overreacting to the <laughs> eight games. How much did you upgrade them during those eight games? So Phoenix was minus one heading into the bubbles, three-point upgrade. Yeah, eight games, three points, perfect. God, if only there were a simulation, also this guy's. If only there were, we could find a way to hack it and see who's better. And I'd own the Fezzik Mansion. There you go. Wouldn't it be funny if you lost the, like either the, your mansion or the yacht to me? And we, I spent some of the money getting someone to do a drop that sounded just like Elmer, Elmer Fudd <laughs> that said, I've got a mansion and used to have a yacht, but RJ has it now. You know, like something like that. <laughs> that would be great. Steve, you thought, and we looked at the notes beforehand that you submitted in our extensive prep, but unscripted. That'd be funny if a radio show was script. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think, does anyone think radio shows are scripted? Like they're reading scripts? I think some people do. Really? Who? People. Like, could you point someone out, you know, say, you know, if we asked him, I bet he'd say that 
Colin Cowherd has all that written out. Hmm. The it's guy, hard for me to extrapolate what other people think. So, oh yeah, when you're not, you know, when you're a different species, it, it, <laughs> it is true. <laughs> Boy, Harden was four. But you know what's interesting? The trend continues. At least ATS. So, Mike D'Antoni. Oh, we didn't talk about that on SOV today. God darn it. Mike D'Antoni in game six or seven of any series. Now with today's update, one in seven straight up, 0 and 8 ATS. Seems beyond coincidence, perhaps. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, well. The odds of it not being coincidence, 256 to one, right? So, yeah, if you do, you know, point, what, point 0.5 to the second yeah, pass. Yeah. And if you, and the fact that two of those games he was favored in, now, I'm sorry, three of these games he was favored in, one game was a push, he is clearly underperformed. Yeah. So, 0 and 8 ATS, 12 point minus 12 on the ATS margin. So, wow, is that a big money? Yeah. And I tell you, I had the general idea on this. But I was saying, look, game five, six, and seven, I thought. Because five is that point when it's 2-2 two, two, that it gets serious, especially when it's home, home, away, away. But, you know, McKenzie's the one that, you know, took the direction. But he found the six and seven that I didn't suspect. I, you know, I, I didn't do the work, but it's easy. Listen, I've often said if someone would just do what I say and get it done right, we're way ahead of the game. But... More and more, McKenzie's digging a little deeper. And now, probably 40% of the time, he screws it up. But 60%, he finds things that I didn't think to look for. So I think that's a win for the listeners, wouldn't you say? Because I usually, the screw-up stuff, I'll say, throw that away. And what do you think, McKenzie? Sounds like a great percentage to me. It sounds like a pro better almost. Ex- yeah. Except I guess Bruin yeah. is 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 closer. <laughs> At least he's not trying to be funny. All right. I think he was a little bit. He's being cautious. That's <laughs> sure. what you want from a wife, Steve, and an employee. <laughs> I'm just saying. Except when you say damn time, then it's code that she can do what she wants the next hour. <laughs> what is dame time at the Fezzik house? <laughs> dame time is only in my in my office when i'm watching portland that's it did he just say when i'm watching portland <laughs> i think so you know what's funny we could clip that portland. i guaranteed he went portland <laughs> grab that oh that's awesome Dave, that is what I'm it could have went anywhere it'd be like he's watching his old movie. you know what would be even funnier than the fact that you know, you're, you're, you know, I don't want to say funny, the depressing, the depressing inducing dating life before you met your wife is if you had one girl that you met when you were like 17, who for like one summer, it was like you were Winnie Cooper and mm. Kevin Arnold. And then literally the day of the first day of school, you say, listen, I'll ride my bike down, my Schwinn, <laughs> and I'll pick you up. You know, let's stop at our favorite place and have a butterscotch ice cream before school. You know, some elaborate thing. 
and you pull up in your, on your bike and the house is empty and it's dilapidated. So it's not like it's just empty. It's like this house hasn't been lived in for 15 years. It's all a dream. But you don't think it is. Mm. And that's the beginning of the movie. And it ends with your um, institutionalization. Uh-oh. Jacob's Ladder? What do you think, Matt? A little Jacob's Ladder in the Wonder Years. Uh, I think I like it. Did you see Jacob's Ladder? No, I did not. Do you know of Jacob's Ladder? I, I do. It was foreboding in my house for some reason. I was not allowed to see it. Really? Are, are then, your, were your parents very religious? No, just uh, the, the themes were apparently too dark or something. It was tough. It was a... I, I think that was 88, 89, but that was one of those like pre-internet that if Jacob's Ladder had come out during the internet, I think it would have been like one of the, it'd be like, it's like a memento type movie. It's about a Vietnam soldier, right? Yeah, or but the but the alternative universe stuff is really hard. Like it was well done. Tim. Oh, like alternative reality. Mm -hmm. Like you think one thing's happening, but something else is happening. That's going high on the list. Okay. Oh, yeah. Listen, it's an interesting discussion is if you went back and, and you know, let's use an example. How many people have seen the deer hunter that's, say, below 50 years old? Right? So there's a movie that if it came out, to, you know, it's probably better than almost every movie. You know, there might be three movies better than The Deer Hunter this year, mate. And forget COVID, let's say the year before. But if it's old, like when they have these revivals, no one shows up. I go to a lot of these, you know, used to, you know, pre-COVID, you know, hey, here's the Blade Runner on the big screen. It's like, all right. And... There's like four people at Samstown, like four, you know, I don't, I, I, thankfully they still, you know, they do it, but, and so obviously there's something about it being old that people just dismiss it. But imagine if they said, we're going to do a full marketing campaign because the movies cost, you know, a hundred million bucks, two, whatever. If you said, we're going to do the same marketing push, but we don't have the production costs. Could those movies make a third as much? Now, when I say those, I'm saying there might be 10 movies, 20 movies in the history that would meet the criteria that they're good enough, they don't look dated. Because it doesn't matter how good a movie is. If it feels dated, people don't want to go to the theater and pay for it. But the funny thing is the movies will sometimes be set at a particular time. So The Godfather in 72 was set in 46 was that dated? You know, so I don't know. I guess it's maybe the way the camera moves. Matt, what, I mean, what what makes a movie dated, would you say? Uh, technology, yes. But remember, if it's a period piece, they're not going to have cell phones either. It'll be film stock or the digital quality of the image. Huh. So you're saying if it looks bad, that's bad. So all, it, it can never look too good. Yes. Well, I'm, what I'm saying is that th it will look according to the time it was made. And that ages it for people. But every movie doesn't, right? Some movies look really good from a long time ago. Like almost like Zeppelin, we were talking about how it sounds contemporary. I mean, there's certain movies I see, like 
like when Harry met Sally, for some reason that just popped in my head. That was made, you know, late 80s, early 90s. That felt very modern. I mean, I rewatched it a couple years ago. It was like, it felt like it could have been made yesterday. Yeah. Right? But I think you're right. For the most part, movies are of their time. Yeah, it's a means of production type thing. But the the writing will carry it across time. So, But it doesn't in a way where it becomes widely... Like when they put Gone with the Wind in the theaters, there, you know, I went to a Gone to the Wind revival and it was kind of cool. Kind of made me sad in a way. Is yeah. but not the movie. The movie was, you know, what it is. I like the movie. And obviously we can say, well, that's got some thoughts we shouldn't have. It's like, come on, it was made in the 20s or whatever. It was what it was. It's a, you know, but there were people that came dressed up as like Southern Bells or whatever. You know, it was like, you know, not many, but like six of them. And it was like, it was so cool that they cared about something. You know, I guess when I think of Star Trek conventions, I don't think cool, but they cared about it. And then it felt vulnerable to me. It was like, which to me is, is sad. Like it's like, cause in general, my default is to be less vulnerable. And that's one of the things I like about the pod is, you know, We've earned an audience that gives us leeway and we, you know, try to share more truth. I certainly share, I certainly share more truth here than I do on the radio. It's not that I'm lying. It's I'm not going into things like this would not be on the radio. People are saying, damn right. Thanks. But <laughs> to quickly finish it. Yeah. I think that's something I got to deal with because good, yeah, good things shouldn't make you sad, Steve. That's probably true. Just like OKC losing here. Harden with a bad game. Westbrook with a bad game. And they still win? I blame Chris Paul. So not one of these guys, Harden, Westbrook, or Paul could shoot 50%. No chance. Look at that Harden. Four for 15. What do you Get, expect? You see that? If that was the only information you had, oh, I yeah, that's a good would, bet. Who who would you bet to have won this game? I would say okay. The fact bet. it was only fifteen shots though would cause me to be a little apprehensive. Dort had thirty, and he didn't shoot twenty or fifty percent. And what's amazing is that Dort, their defensive specialist, and you nailed it. You talked about how important Dort was to slowing down Harden. If you told me that. Dort got 30 points. He's been an offensive disaster, had no for nine. Now, now that's an interesting point. Is if you only knew Dort scores 30, Harden scores 17, who you take? I, I lay four with Oklahoma City. Really? I lay four. Dort with 30? How is Oklahoma City going to lose? You know, you still got uh, Gallinari, you know, putting in some points, and you got Chris Paul, and you got Gilgis Alexander. I mean, Dort is. It's the we offensive know, we, we liability. Know, we, we know you know a few of the players. I mean, you don't yeah, have to, like, rattle right. it off. I mean, come on. How many were you going to name? Probably mispronounce one of them, too. Oh, for sure. Do you want me to quiz you on players? No. Okay. Thank so, you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make it history. I'm going to send a tweet while you start with the first topic. But if you go to at RJ in Vegas, no matter what, that tweet's going to be out there. Because it's going to go out there at the speed of light. And this podcast only goes at the speed of sound. <laughs> you get it, Sid? Yes. <laughs> the segue into the first topic is game sevens. And in a way, if you think of the shooting percentages, it's a good segue. 
Yeah, so we took a look at Game 7s and how historically have they done with the total and found a strong trend towards the under, which is now 34-21 and 21 after Oklahoma City and Houston went under. And last year went 6-0 of the under, this year 2-0. But the markets are certainly paying attention to this trend, and why wouldn't they after the Utah-Denver game, which went under by 60 points last game. And so no one was talking about Game 7's unders, and now all of a sudden after that game, the markets paid a lot of attention to these Game 7s. There's a lot of reasons you can say, hey, Game 7 should be lower scoring. The problem is the market is aware of it. And I love, RJ, what you did on SOV, breaking that down, because you took a look at this Houston-Oklahoma City game. Game 6, total was 226. Game went under by about 20 points. All right, let's adjust for a low-scoring Game 6, bring that total down a point or two, call it a point, 225. Now look at historically Game 6s versus Game 7s. You said, you know what? Let's knock it down two or three points, somewhere in that range for that Game 7. Now we're at 220. 220 looks like it's probably the right number, the right adjustment from that 226 that was Game 6. Well, what was interesting about this game is Houston-Oklahoma City, total open 223. Looks like the odds makers made an insufficient adjustment, lowered the total, correct adjustment, not enough, lowered it to 223, but then it moved all the way down to 217, and that was, in retrospect, an adjustment that probably was too big especially as we followed this game. It was remarkable how in, in live wagering for all but the last five minutes of the game, this total bounced around anywhere from 218 to about 226. So in that range, I could make the case, hey, it sure looks like 220 was about the right number. And then in the end game, in the final three or four minutes, we didn't watch the game, but the game was really, really close. And oftentimes when you get a super close game, that end game, both teams can get so tight at the end versus if a team has like a six-point lead. And I think ultimately that led us to a misleading final here. We only got 206 points. But I think in retrospect, I, I bet this under. I won. I think I got lucky. Well, you don't hear that often. Steve Mitten, it wasn't the greatest pick ever. Let me ask you this. What is the driving factor of the close games that lead to a lot of scoring versus the ones that don't? Because we know a blowout's bad for scoring. Right? Yes. So you would think a close game is good for scoring, but some are, some aren't. Yeah. So the like when a team is ahead by four to ten points, so that's still a close game. That oftentimes lends itself to a really high scoring fourth quarter because a team that's down six or seven, they're when with five minutes left, they're thinking, Boy, I'm running out of time here and they'll be more aggressive on defense. They'll go for more steals, resulting in more fouls, resulting in more transition points. For the other team, oftentimes, where the defense extends itself too far. But I've noticed whenever a game is like a one or a two-point game or tied, all of a sudden every possession seems to magnify. Think about that Utah-Denver game. When you watch that end game, and it was so close, and it was tied in a lot of those possessions, seemingly there was no um, fast breaks at all by either team. There was no transitions. A shot would go up, and all five guys on defense would crash the boards while offensively two or three of the guards would get back, don't want to give up a cheap bucket. And so these really close games certainly seem to lend themselves to lower-scoring fourth quarters. And, of course, every now and then it goes overtime and the game goes over. But aside from that, in terms of just the fourth quarter, lower scoring. So at the very end, the – scoring is driven by 
does is the team down by more than one possession because if it's possession by possession the teams are being very deliberate and eventually one's trying to maybe go two for one but if it's more than a possession and that one distinction can mean the difference between like seven eight possessions in the last 50 seconds versus two exactly right yes because think about it if, even if you're down three all right and there's 30 seconds left a lot of teams will play it and, and they'll just play defense they won't foul so the their opponents will chuck up a three with eight seconds left and then the team down three gets the rebound they come down they shoot a three at the buzzer game ends there's no scoring in the last 30 seconds just two more points if a team's up five with 30 seconds left here comes the foul fest Foul, go up seven, make a three down four. You get the idea. It can often be 12 points, garbage time, the last, not garbage time, but just in the last 30 seconds of the foul fest. So what you're saying is that the things that are mostly random can have a drastic impact on not just the winners or losers, but the handicapping in the future. So have you seen any place or do you know anyone in, in, in the NFL and football you can take out the garbage time and stuff? How and like sweeping the glass or whatever it has, okay, we're going to take heaves out, we're going to do... But how do you take this out of it? You know, I think you'd go and take a look at the final two minutes and almost say, how many points are these teams scoring in the first 46 instead of the, 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 the ultimate 48 minutes to take those last two minutes out? Because there is such a disparity, and I don't know how many points got scored in this Houston game. Now you make an interesting point. Uh, what, if we were going to say we were only going to take, let's just say for the sake of argument, the first 46 minutes... And whatever the score is there, we're going to put a coefficient on it based upon the circumstances, as in this is a road team, it's a total, or I guess there's always going to be a home and, or home and road. But whatever, let's just say there's a way to say from here the average would be X as the final. Would it be better to just use the average? Yes, I'm, I feel strongly. Because the theory is you're taking out the vagaries the randomness. Exactly. So you multiply by whatever the average is in terms of the last two minutes of the game, whether it's 6% or well, whatever. It be whatever the last two minutes of the game is. It'd be based on the circumstances of that game. Yeah. You'd want that it to spread, be a little yeah. more complex and then say, if we did 10,000 games simulated, the average score would be another nine points from here. So why not just tack nine on the first 46 minutes? Understanding it might be, in fact, it's only valuable when it's different than the game result. Now, this is interesting. Five points in the last 339. Yeah, and that goes back to, so this game landed 206. But if you're following this game, that 206 put a big asterisk by it. There's no way that this total shouldn't have gotten to uh, 215 to 222, somewhere around that range. So, Steve, to me, my conclusion is, and Mackenzie dug a little deeper here in, I think that we all agree on this. It's the sequence of these unders in game seven that I find interesting. So Mackenzie, you probably have the info right in front of you there, but it was like, okay, it did really well. Then it reached some awareness level and did poorly. But then right when it felt like people might've got disenchanted with it, it surged back. And again, we're talking about unders in game sevens blind. Do you have that? Yeah, so we have the 61% trend overall. And then when scoring went up in the league in general, 2015 to 2019, we saw it level off a lot. It was about 500 from 2015 to 2019. Then last year, six in a row unders. First two game sevens this year, two in a row. Okay, but before the six in a row and two in a row, so now we're eight unders in a row, what was the, before that? 
because you're saying over the scoring boom it was 500, but wasn't it five or six unders in a, right in a row or overs right in a row before? Yeah, it was five in a row right before these. St- so why, why would you blend the five game win or losing streak with the games before it, unless you were like a proponent of the under? I probably was a proponent of the under. I've, I've been talking about how game sevens are lower scoring completely through this trend and losing a lot of money on the, along the way. Okay, so why make punish us for that? I'm not trying to. I'm, I just, uh, when I think of it conceptually, I think of that time where it was 500, that time where it was really good before, and this current streak. Well, if we wanted to plug into the, the mind of McKenzie, that'd be a great way to think about it. What do you think the audience deserves to hear? Most relevant facts available. Yeah. Now, you can say, well, RJ, why is that? It's an arbitrary endpoint. It's because we got to think about what is the danger of a trend like this that obviously has merit. You know what else has merit? The zigzag. If you look at, does the zigzag affect NBA teams? Does the winner, and again, there's all kinds of different ways to approach the zigzag. The general premise is if a team loses, they're more motivated and they're more willing to try to change things. If a team wins, they're a little complacent and they're a little not consider intractable. You know, I don't think that's the word. They, they mot more of the same, mm-hmm. more of the same, but just with a little less vigor. Yes. All right. And the losing team is like, we got to try harder and we got to do something different. We got to fix, we got to clean it up. That's I to fix it or clean. Yeah. And what happens? The effect is material. It's measurable, but you know what? You can't make a dollar from it. You know why? Cause the market moves accordingly. Exactly. For a long time, you could. It doesn't mean the zigzag doesn't have an effect anymore. It means the effect is measured in the market. How is a trend like this going to hit the shitter, Steve? When it's measured in the market. When, oh, look, naturally this line would be 223. Now it's 217. That's when the problems start. It doesn't matter if you won this game or not. I'm not saying there was no reason to go under. I'm not saying under wasn't the right bet. I'm saying if you're going to use the trend as the reason to bet, you better make sure the market's not adjusted for it. Yeah, and it sure looks like the market awoke to this trend strong when there's an eight-point differential, eight-and-a-half-point adjustment between game six and game seven in the total. With teams that's played now 82 or almost 82 games plus these playoff games, any one game is going to affect the total how much the next game, if it's the regular season, whatever. I think one point not even that you're, you're saying there's some big scoring game it's going to move a total one point. i think one i think that's too much mm. but but let's say one at max how many did the, the how many points did this game move between six and seven the total oh, oh eight and a half points okay yeah so don't you see that it's something about this game seven what else could be the cause can't be one yeah it's the one all the other information is there now you add game six, and you just said, ah, maybe a point. So now why would it move more than that? It, it shouldn't, but what's happening is this, this Utah-Denver crazy extreme low-scoring game. I really think that that game moved this Oklahoma City game seven by itself in retrospect a good two to three points. And that's my point. The yeah. awareness of this game seven trend, or maybe they're not aware of the trend. They're just saying, hey, game sevens are going under. That's the story here. Yes. Even McKenzie wants it to be some other story. The other story is you're not is when you buck me on NBA totals, you lose. But when I agree with you, walking laughing all the way to the bank. Exactly. That is the takeaway. I mean, 
we could say it with, you know, the help of Denzel Washington's son. In our day, we trust that we get money. On them, baby. Here we go. Tuition paid. But somehow, Mackenzie, I'm paying you for this. Doesn't seem fair. I agree. I'm gonna Mackenzie climb. and I come in looking glum. Sorry to interrupt. You're like, all right, perk up, little soldiers. I know you got your butts kicked games five and six, but now, but, but now is the time to go under. I tell you, it was pretty strong. I can't lie. I smelled it. I smelled it. Next. Oh, speaking of smelly, Fez, me and you have a, I mean, it's not even a real bet in that. Come on, Boston's going to win the title. But we do have a bet if Toronto or Boston wins the title. I took Toronto, you took Boston. For a long time, I looked like I had the right side. Let's admit, not now, and this is after the 2-0 Boston lead on Wednesday, uh, or we're taping Wednesday, but somehow you felt you had the gall. Some would call it the unmitigated gall. To put in the notes, Boston has the look of a contender. Explain. Well, I think Boston's Tatum has gotten forgotten. We're talking about this youth movement, and we forget that Tatum is 22. So all the talk was Luca, Mitchell, Murray. 23-year-old Luca. I was wrong. He's only 21. Um, and these guys got all the attention, but Tatum only being 22, you forget he is really a budding superstar. And, and you spoke our – What's that got to do with the look of a, a – a- contender, whatever drivel you say. Well, because I think the the take on Boston is they've got some really, really nice pieces, but they don't have that one superstar that so can why would a guy a being yeah, – doesn't superstar come with maturity? Like you're saying that, that Tatum is younger and thus the fact that people aren't considering him a superstar, it's like younger works against you here, right? If he was 26, people might say, you know that dude's probably the 10th – what are you talking about? Well, you I saying? think in the bubble. What you we just wanted to talk about Boston. I did. So your point's actually contradictory. Well, I do think that, and you identified this, a lot of these young players really gelled during that time oh. off. Right? I, mean, I didn't say that. I never said that once. You think young players are probably smoking weed and masturbating or with them calling in friends. Well, I mean, you look at you look at how well all these young players. But I like never Mitchell, said it was about them gelling. Like I said Murray. it was about AAU. Exactly, the, the, but it's not exactly. It's has nothing to do with what you're saying. They're gelling. used to not having any fans. They're used to this. Exactly. This What's venue. that got to do with gelling? They're used. Okay, they're used to playing video games in their hotels without any, you know, disruption. But if you're gonna lift one of my things, at least get it right. All right fair enough. Yes. You just wanted to talk about Boston, right? Well, it's bush league psycho stuff. <laughs> Moving on. Clippers, Lakers, both benefiting from the game sevens. Woo us with your insights, Dave. <laughs> well, I know it's it's obvious, but you looked at both of these seven game series were wars. Houston, I, you can argue that their coach's job's on the line and that they're being second guessed. Maybe they don't even get out of the first round. And Denver down 3 1, their coach's You realize job the game's over, right? On the line, yes. So now that these teams have survived, you got to wonder how much energy that they had to put forth to get out of that first round of the playoffs. And here, the Clippers and the Lakers await. And I think it certainly benefits the Clippers and the Lakers. Guess who shows up for no reason at all to get his grandstanding and hot dogging in? You, man.
Next topic. <laughs> I'm just doing everyone a favor. <laughs> Let's talk about line moves in week one of the NFL. Now, remember, remember, this is because Steve wasn't ready. Though I would say you're probably the most ready of the crew. I'm going to really hit it this weekend. We're going to do a preview show, taping it on, based upon Fezzik's misses. It will tell us when we're taping it. It's, she's having one of her birthdays. And, but it's going to be out by Tuesday morning. And then we'll have our normal week one look out Thursday. So it's an extravaganza if you're not following. And remember, when we went for podcast one, you should still be following as in technically, but you never know with the internet. So go to your favorite pod player. And if you have multiple ones, listen, every follow helps. So if you've got three players, one phone has this one, other one has that one. follow everywhere. It helps. It's just a way. It's not like you're paying us. Don't worry, but you are, you're returning the favor. You're supporting the show. You really are. And Next week, when the times aren't exactly sure when things are going to come out, you'll make sure not to miss it. Make sure not to see it late. Follow. And in this case, it's the Dream Preview. Search for that, RJ Bell. Or, and you want to follow Straight Out of Vegas, just search Straight Out of Vegas or RJ Bell. Week one, Steve. Last week, you were like, huh, not a lot of line moves. We said not as many data points. You're saying, huh, some line moves this week. Yeah, and specifically Tuesday morning, all of a sudden, boom, you're seeing all of these games lighting up. So Thursday night game, NFL opener, Houston gets bet down from 10 to 9.5 at Kansas City, one of five games that all moved on Tuesday at approximately the same time. Second big line move, Las Vegas bet up from minus 1.5 to minus 2.5 and and even minus 3 at Carolina. So what's interesting, we're seeing some line moves all the way through and at key numbers. And this kind of makes some sense, right? If you like a game and you want to get down, what games would you look to bet aggressively? Probably the games where you want to secure the key numbers. Detroit, and this one really surprised me, Got not that it got bet up from minus two, but it actually hit three in some spots hosting Chicago. So think about this. Detroit now in some spots laying three Hosting Chicago, Detroit doesn't have fans in the stands, so they certainly don't have three for a home field. So this line now is saying that Detroit is the better team than the Chicago Bears. Very interesting that that line was able to move all the way to three. Uh, Fourth line move, Green Bay bet down from three. I'm going to call it three and a quarter to 2.75 at Minnesota. So this is one that we went ahead and gave out on Straight Out of Vegas. I gave it out, gave it out on the podcast, and money, as expected, did come in on Green Bay, Minnesota with no fans. Even if Minnesota is the slightly better team, if you give them as a divisional team two for a home field, then you would come up with two and a half for a spread. So I'm not surprised at all. Power move on the Green Bay Packers. And finally, number five, Pittsburgh Steelers, Monday night football, bet up from minus three and a half to minus four at the New York Giants. And frankly, this is one I could see being a, a public move as well as that game actually moves up to um, uh, post time with uh, people looking to bet the Steelers against the New York Giants. Wouldn't surprise me if this, if this one closes even higher. So on, I didn't catch exactly. What, what did you say about the Green Bay game? Because I, if I recall, you had a pick in that game, right? Yeah, so I gave out Green Bay the dog. They were plus three to plus three and a half. It was split 50-50. 
And so this line has moved, dropped below three. Now the prevailing line, two and a half at the sharp books, three at the square books, so 2.75. But you would take the three if you were still playing the dog, right? Like you try to take the three and a half before I stopped you, right? Well, there are three and a halves out there. But you yeah. mentioned they're all this out there. in Vegas. In Vegas, there are three and a halves. But I even I said, I said plus three, even money was fine. I but you said, didn't say that until after I called you on it. You're right. If I was homesick, what would have happened? Plus three and a half. What would have happened? Plus three and a half. Best bet. Thank me. Thank. I mean, don't thank me. Just silently do it. Because if not, you'd be wrestling Fezzik like wrestling a bag of snakes by yourself. He'd be against you. It would be like a disaster. The the The... the the havoc that would be wrecked across, wreaked across the country. <laughs> Are there any of these moves you disagree with? Meaning that, in fact, if you had to bet, and obviously the better number that's contrary to one of these moves, which one would it be? Kansas City. Explain. I still think Kansas City is underrated. You look at, I think they finished the year 9-0 and straight up and against the spread. So the move was what from what? Uh, line was 10, dropped to 9.5. Kansas- so, so the bet was actually. On Houston plus 10. So you would disagree with Houston. Yes. You would take Kansas City. Okay. Correct. And it's all about Kansas City being a team that I feel is underrated, largely because that defense under Spagnola, we talked about this last year, just wasn't very good. The first half of the year improved greatly in the second half of the year. I don't think Kansas City's defense is getting enough respect, didn't get enough respect last year. And I don't think that they're, um, even though they're laying double digits, I don't think they're getting enough respect here. You know, Matt, what's amazing about technology is when I eat this potato chip, how loud does it sound, right? Got some good low to mid-range frequencies. I'm hearing it in my head a lot, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you got the echo effect your jaw and the ah. headphones mm, that that actually makes me like it more let me try one more mm-hmm. we could sell that to potato chip commercial produ- producers i think these are the first chips i've had in five years they're delicious <laughs> No wonder my mom sat around eating potato. No. Jalapeno kettle brand. Hmm. We should get a sponsor from these guys. Just send us 10 pounds of chips. <laughs> That'd be funny, like a podcast negotiating. Like, listen, we said we went to Orange Gatorade, not the purple. We could do a price per crunch. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> well... Yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) Let's give Maddie Holt some credit, too, because Maddie gave out last week on the pod Detroit minus two against Chicago. That was the prevalent number, and now that line all the way up to two and a half and threes in some spots. So, Maddie, ahead of the curve on the Detroit Lions game. He'll be in Monday for the big extravaganza. Now, as I finish my tune. There seems to be a general trend in the direction of Detroit. Uh, division odds, 9-1, to one, down to what, 6-1? to one? I haven't even looked for a couple of days. I believe it's plus 550 is the latest. Now we're seeing game one get steamed. Do you agree with the Lions, love? I do. I really think that the Lions, that abysmal quarterback play in the second half of the year, we've spoken about it. Driscoll was bad. 
and Blau was horrendous. And the fact that the Lions played 12 close games, even with these two stiffs at quarterback, if they just had won half of their close games, they would have won six games last year. You bring in Stafford for the, a full year instead of half a year. Detroit should have won six last year. That would get them to eight wins. And the fact Detroit only won three games last year, I think that they've been undervalued in the marketplace because of that. I don't think there's really any difference between, I think almost all these teams in the division, they're so close that if things break right, Detroit could win the division. And that sentence said nothing. I'll take, how's this? I'll take Green Bay, who you are down on, right? You have the lines, we'll go even money. And if one of them don't win the division, none of us get paid. NFL fan update. Now, this one should be short. So, Steve, you were telling me earlier, three teams are having fans for sure. Now, this is week one. Who's those teams? Kansas City, Miami, and Dallas. Okay. So, there's a lot of talk about, oh, this could be unfair. Now, there's also six teams that have not precluded it, so they haven't eliminated the possibility, right? Yes. Arizona, Carolina. Cleveland, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Tampa Bay. Arizona. Say those teams again. Arizona. All right. Carolina. Carolina, okay. Cleveland. Who would go there? Okay. <laughs> Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Tampa Bay. So other than a Florida kind of bias, it's like, what, what do we, like, if you were, that was an SAT test, like, what would be the pattern? I identify no pattern. Hmm. Maybe, does any of the teams win? Kansas City, I guess, right? Yes. And the other ones, not really. <laughs> so, is, and then the other teams are saying no, no, no. But again, just for week one, I think the Raiders have said here none for the whole year. Yeah, so the other 23 teams, that, that's right. So the other 23 teams have all confirmed no fans at least week one. Mm -hmm. But um, certainly they vary by team whether they've said we're not going to play three games. They're saying amongst these 23 the no's extend all the way from just the one week to all the way to maybe the whole season. Exactly right. But we won't go through that. So the betting market is our guide. What does the betting market tell us about, let's say, the three teams that are going to have fans in week one? How much of an edge is this? Betting market says limited fans don't matter at all. And specifically, we talked about the line moves. Kansas City's going to have some fans for opening night, and money just came in on their opponent on Houston. So the betters are saying having a limited capacity, whether it's one-sixth or one-fifth of the stadium, with fans doesn't matter. What was your instinct before you saw the betting market? My instinct is that it should matter something, and I was thinking pro rata. I thought that a full stadium, that, uh, that noise from the crowd, worth on average about a point. If you have a fifth full stadium – my sense was that it would, be, it would be worth more than a fifth of a point. I don't know if it's a fourth of a point exactly. It, it doesn't seem like it should be exactly pro rata. I think like the first 5,000 fans. pro rata as in a percentage of because it would make that much noise? Not so much. That, that makes no sense because noise is only a problem when it passes the tipping point. Right. I think it's more that there's a slight bias in the, what the referee is when they. But isn't the noise the thing that makes the bias? I think that the fact that one team is preferred over the other makes it a little more natural to call a penalty maybe on a pass interference that could go either way and because of that I think that there is an impact minimal impact so if someone said 
we should have the referees wear earplugs. Do you think that would make the officiating less biased? Yes. Really? Then why don't they wear earplugs? Well, because they got to hear the what? Know, they they, they got to hear the contact and the, and the like. I mean, it, it, in football, you think the sound, so there could not be a deaf official. That's, that's an interesting a, question, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about like when a when a wide receiver is catching a ball, you know, and he's almost out of bounds, and mm-hmm. probably the official has to look at his at his feet is he in bounds, and also when the defender hits him is it pass interference. And probably You're saying it, that's something that's going to be by the sound? Yeah, I think if he hears contact before the ball gets there. So what you're saying in that case, if you were really smart, you would have people on the sidelines like smacking something a, a second before so the referee's going to throw the flag. Yes. And I know a first-base umpire is trained to like watch. Oh, but that's a very specific. Yeah, that, you're not going to be able to replicate the sound of the ball. Right, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Belichick, leave it to Belichick. So, do you look to bet on these home teams? Because you think there's an ad, I mean, it's just a small one, I guess, right? I think it's probably too small because, like I said, if it's worth a point for the crowd noise, and now at most it's a fourth of a point with a limited crowd, probably not enough to make to move the needle. Matty Holt had a good theory on this, an interesting one, saying, hey, the increased difficulty of travel is going to be so significant that maybe the subtraction of hey home noise not being a factor in some places maybe a small factor okay yeah that hurts your home field but if traveling is harder it's not a home field advantage it's a traveling dis an away disadvantage where's your head at with that yeah and i I think all travel is not the same i think if you're going to a city that you're used to, you're staying in a place that you're used to staying, all of a sudden that travel, even with these restrictions, becomes easier. Steve, it's very nice that you're taking, taking my point. your take. Well, I liked your take completely. But do you just naturally take takes and not, like, give – it's like if you get anything near – it's almost like some guy that owns the company pre-Me Too. they like, listen, if you work here, got to let him grab you wherever he wants. Or, you, you know, just can't work here. It's kind of like that. If you work with Steve, he's going to steal your stuff, <laughs> and he won't even know he did it. That's almost like someone, like an Alzheimer's guy that's grabbing people. Well, that's the the scary part, and I think you 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 made the observation about divisional play, especially that no, this being significant. So right? we're just shifting right into like acting like it didn't happen. Yeah. How odd! I mean, do you ever like go home to your wife and like tell say things that I might have said? It's like here's a romantic, and then just act like it's yours. Say you know, whatever. Like, where do you do you ever draw the line and say I shouldn't say that because it's somebody else's? No, I think I'm going to use your black hole in nature comment once <laughs> I know within the next 24 hours. And the attribution will be in a black hole because we'll never see it or it will never exist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Mackenzie, what's your gut feeling on the crowd? And and should it be home field advantage? Is there going to be a big away disadvantage, et cetera? I like road teams in general. I think it's gotten a lot easier to travel, but I actually agreed a lot with Maddie Holt. I think the bigger factor out of the two between fans and the difficulty of or the extra difficulty of travel this year, I think the extra difficulty is more important. I'm looking at the notes. I'm seeing NFL edge teams that run the ball. Now, I can reflect back on something I said, oh, I don't know, three weeks ago, in which I said, well, let's think about this a second. Offenses tend to suffer when there's lack of preparation. This is the COVID-19 lack of prep 
year, obviously. And it might get boring to hear, but again and again, it will probably be a big factor. But I said, oh, offenses that are timing-based, that aren't power-type running teams, not the Tennessees. There's not many of these power-running teams. I thought these offenses that are the majority, the time-based ones, they're going to suffer early, don't have enough time to practice, et cetera, all of these things. But somehow, some way, well, I guess I would say it's uh, a counterpoint to that is, well, the defenses are going to suffer. And how do they suffer? Often with tackling. So there's less scrimmaging. Some places are scrimmaging more because of the lack of preseason games. Other, other places aren't. But I would make the following case is timing-based offenses are going to suffer and all defenses are going to suffer because tackling is going to be a problem. That seems to equal each other out, okay? The defense, it's going to be harder for them. Offense, it's going to be harder for them. Scoring should stay about the same. Now, there's an exception, which is the power-based offenses. But, Steve, would you agree if it's a... Uh, if it's a timing-based offense against a normal defense, that both are going to suffer because of COVID-19. Yes. Thus, my point from three weeks ago was, wow, if you get those running teams, the power teams, Tennessee, for example, they seem to not really get hurt much at all. And you know what? The tackling and the deficiencies there are going to be the most problematic against the running team. Like Derrick Henry, imagine tackling Derrick Henry. So thus you've gone from it's a wash because it hurts the offense and defense to the offense doesn't get hurt at all and the defense is hurt in a amplified way because tackling is so important against the power rushing offenses. Thus a team like Tennessee early in the season might be a mighty good bet. So when I look at NFL edge teams that run the ball i'm wondering what it could be other than what i just said well i i went ahead and researched which teams oh, run the ball the most so i have a list now here. this is good so run heavy teams power teams as you quantify teams you identified as teams we probably want to be on early in the year baltimore number one they run the ball 54 percent of the time only one other team in the nfl runs the ball more than half the time san francisco then tennessee you mentioned minnesota indianapolis Seattle, and finally, Buffalo. And what I really like about this list, too, is that for the most part, you've got pretty good continuity on all these teams. So I ex fully expect that all these teams are going to remain uh, run. Um, um, they're going to emphasize the run and continue to be power running teams, teams to look now that's potentially bet on. And it's funny. I hadn't thought about this the same way as this because I'm thinking power running teams. I'm thinking about power. Derrick Henry. I think of San Francisco, I'm thinking about it's trickery. Uh, you know, it's a good point because they do the wide receiver jet sweeps and, yeah. and Mostert being being a faster scat back, you know, compared to Derrick Henry, certainly. So that's a good point. I just wonder. Now, I would love to have a cam into the control room to see McKenzie just like his hands are gone. You know, I was a ball boy for them. I could probably talk about it. <laughs> so what do you think, McKenzie? He was a, you know, he's related to... Um, what's that dude's name? Kyle Shanahan. Oh, that dude, yeah. 
And you, are you guys first cousins? First cousins. Maybe that should be your name. First cousins of Kyle Shanahan and Kenzie. Okay. It's my lead with on dates. Oh, I have no doubt. (laughs) And he loves it, right? But (laughs) I meant the day, not a cow. Is (laughs) the movie Traffic, it has the, I mean, it's just done, I mean, it might be out of date these days, but it was like the, the, what was his, uh, what's that dude's, it was the, the, um, the Hispanic dude that was always in the gangster movies. And his partner was Don Cheadle. Del Toro? No, 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 no. I, it was uh, he actually played the like the the cousin in How to Make It in America, which was a really good HBO show that was only on. It's actually from the same guy that did Ballers and um, Entourage. He had one in between that only went like two years. But um, <laughs> oh, Guzman. Yes, yes, and. Well, you, you pronounce that with a little uh, Spanish flair. Luis Guzman. <laughs> Boogie Nights fame. Yes. Yeah, a lot. I mean, you look at his IMDb. It's uh, pretty stacked. Not necessarily with great movie. He, he's wor- he's a worker. So, they're, you know, they're talking or whatever, and it's like, yeah, I got my first, you know, had my first day, whatever. I think it was like a, you know, a, a little risque, like a, yeah, but uh, <laughs> he said, um, Something that was romantic, and then Guzman says, uh, "So did he like it?" Or, <laughs> <laughs> but it just—it was—it was so understated. It just worked. But again, I'm quoting Soderbergh, so don't blame me. So Mackenzie, do you feel like there's a point that hey, running the ball is typically simpler, but running the ball for my cousin Kyle Shanahan isn't? Well, my cousin didn't invent the wide zone scheme. Although he does is a big proponent of it, as was my uncle. But I think it's a lot to do with timing. So I think a power run scheme is more brute force. I think timing and cohesion and togetherness is the elements that a team like the San Francisco 49ers bank on. So I think that's going to be a little hampered to begin the season. Boy, there was a lot of words there, weren't there? I think he actually got out the point. Now, here's what's (laughs) hilarious. For the guy that doesn't attribute anything... The actual document I'm seeing in front of me says run heavy, pass heavy teams per Fez. So somehow you are getting attribution for this. <laughs> is, that in your so, co- is that in your contract? So somehow I've stolen this concept from you. <laughs> and your name's on it. And now I'm getting at- attributes when others are discussed. Okay. Well, this seems to be the way with you. So, okay. <laughs> uh, listen, if you got a crook, you want him to be have no conscience. There's nothing worse than a crook that's wondering, should he be a crook? You don't do that, right? Right. Full steam ahead. Damn the (laughs) torpedoes. So, Mackenzie, how would we, in your mind, quantify which teams other than, I mean, I know we could kind of say, well, the Colts kind of seem simpler, but how do we do this? You got any idea, Steve? Is there someone else that told you that you could use what they said? (laughs) <laughs> well, I think you you look at the running backs and the Colts, you know, not only do they have Marlon Mack, but they just drafted the kid out of Wisconsin. What does that have to do with the scheme? Hmm. I'm just thinking about the Is running. Is that just the next thing on your notes? You got a list no, of running backs no, that you no, want to talk to no matter what? No. Why would the running backs have anything to do with the scheme? Because I think about Tennessee and Derrick Henry's just being a bruiser. All right. So this is just, we got to get the weight of the running back. Yeah. In some ways, because it's more likely to run north, south, you know, into the line and. I don't know. Franco was like a ballet dancer. 
What do you think, McKenzie? It's difficult because I was just looking at oh. it, and the Titans run a zone blocking scheme too. But just from the eye test, obviously I'm not an expert. It seems like such a different mentality than the way the San Francisco 49ers do it, or quite frankly, the way the Baltimore Ravens do it with all the misdirection. I have an idea. Every time you say my cousin Kyle Shanahan, we're going to task you with getting a football answer from him. That's fair. You're never going to hear it. (laughs) No, but all joking aside, there's got to be people in the family tree that aren't, let's say, NFL head coaches that know football, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Reach out over the weekend. Have it Monday. We'll do. We'll let you present. Sounds good. Now, this could be interesting. Monday, don't forget. It's like a cliffhanger. Fonzie jumping the shark, remember? I do. You remember that, but no Salvatore Bellamo. Guys, listen to the rest. All right. Next up, will we see more prop bets in the marketplace? What could this be? Go ahead. Well, I think that the Nevada bookmakers and all bookmakers in general are going to be hurting from volume in college football. There's going to be fewer games in college football. So my expectation is they're going to be putting up more handle to more propositions to get more handle. And because of this, I expect to see more propositions being offered in the marketplace. I think it's a big advantage to the bettors that go ahead and are looking to bet prop bets specifically player-specific prop bets. I think we're going to see more of them offered this year than I, we ever I hear before. you saying that again and again. So what does it do for us now? Well, Because it seems to me that this could have waited to say, hey, look, there are more props. Let me report on the here, you know, quantify how there's more. Or if it didn't happen, hmm, you could have your private thought on it. Why are we talking about it now? Because I believe that next week, week one, that we are going to see that. So we've, why not say it then? Fair enough. So there was no point. There's no point right now because those numbers. But you're saying it right now. Yes, I'm plan. I'm planning it because I think I think that doing. So more you should research- have people doing more prep work for the prop. Yes. Are you doing that? I am. Then Monday you're going to just dazzle. I hope so. I do too. Next subject. I think this is actually a subject that's topical. The Jaguars and the seeming, and let's be candid, after last year's debacle with, oh, Miami doesn't want to win, and they played as hard as anyone, though I do think you were right the first two games. Let me say this. How would you compare Jacksonville's overt seeming effort to get rid of all the talent on their team versus Miami and the signs that made you say last year, oh, this team's tanking. Is Jacksonville worse? Where do you put them at? Yeah, I I believe Jacksonville is worse. That they're at, I think way worse. Way worse. And, I mean, look no further than the running back position. So, Jacksonville, they got a good running. They had a good running back in Fournette. Um, you know, is he a top 15 guy? Is he a top 10 guy? He's certainly in, you know, borderline top 10. And they have nothing nothing behind him so you would think it would be critical hey if we want to have any kind of competitive team we got to get Fournette and and not lose him this year and what they do they went ahead and cut him Jacksonville letting Fournette go is an indication that they are not looking to win this year because Fournette is a very good back he certainly a top 15 back you look at how many yards he gains per carry even on a bad team a little bit better than the NFL average last year. With bad quarterbacking. I mean, to whatever degree you want to say 
Minshew, and he did start better than he ended. When you look at the season of quarterbacking for Jacksonville, with obviously Foles winning the other games, not not good. Yeah. Not, not good. Not good at all. So, if you don't have a good quarterback play, what does it mean? It means that the teams can bunch up against the run, especially when you've got a guy pedigreed as Fournette. And you know what else it means? You're not getting those carries. It's the flip side. Remember, you talk about passing offense and say, hey, I don't want to bet under because that team's going to be losing. It's like, wait a minute, losing? That's, that's a good sign, meaning if you're betting against a team, you're thinking if they're losing, that's got to be bad for the quarterback. But your point is if you just use counting stats like yards, if a team's losing, it means they're going to throw more, maybe get more yards even if they still lose. But what's the flip side? You're not getting many runs in a situation where you can get, you know, chunk yardage or get, or at least with the counting stats, you would think, well, the more you're behind, you're not running as much, right? Yeah, and and Fournette, he gained over 1,000 yards, and he was Well, I think if you look, and maybe McKenzie pop it up, he had the best his career year if you just look at yards from scrimmage. Exactly, and and his his averages. Well, like if you look at the pass yards, he was over 500 yards. He's been there three years. He's only got about a, a little over a thousand yards for his career. So last year, pass yards, he got as much as he got the other two years combined. All right. So now, you would say the volume goes up running the ball a little bit, but then it's like okay. But his yards per carry looks fine. Best he's ever had. Three, he was 3-3 three, three, and 3-9 three, the other two years. 4-3 last year. He had a good year, a really good year. Yeah, I would say unequivocally his best year as a pro. Yes, he's not, not even close. And there was no sense of the trend line going down because it was his best year most recent. He still was on the fourth year. of I get the fifth-year option wasn't exercised, which it wasn't. But fourth-year salary, it was a fair price. Yeah, four mil. Is that right, four? Yeah. So to me, unequivocally, we can say the following. Fournette was worth the money. Jacksonville let him go for nothing. No, it wasn't a trade, nothing. Now, those who think Jacksonville can't be tanking, they must have some good backups. What would you say to that? They don't have good backups. So they have Chris Armstead, who's going to be their starting running back. He had 35 carries last year, 3.1 yards per carry, so way worse than Fournette. And their other running back, Chris Thompson's a third down guy that they pick up from Washington. So huge uh, step back at running back. So did Adrian Peterson vanquish him? <laughs> Big time. He can't even beat out AP? <laughs> what do you have against Adrian Peterson? Um, Seriously. He beat me in one game. I played him under like 80 rush yards. And he had 14 carries for one yard and one carry for 80. Mm. And that one carry beat me. When was this? This was last year. It's still with you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's only been a year. For Nets, four Nets yards from scrimmage. Rookie year 103. Sophomore year 77. Last year 110. That 77 had to be concerning. What about... You should have heard Mackenzie trying to pronounce this. Inokwe, Adaka, Baka. What was this dude's name, Mackenzie? Ngakwe. Ooh, that was good. Was that pre-recorded? Hollywood held me up. <laughs> hey, congrats. I mean, keep it up. <laughs> what do you think of that? Who won that trade? I mean, obviously Jacksonville's less good now, but was it a bad trade for them? 
Well, they got something for him, and he did not want to play for Jacksonville. So I can't say I it's can't a bad thing. like that. Mm. I mean, maybe you can. We've talked about player empowerment. Like, is there a limit? I don't know. What you just said and that you're kind of resigned to, it's kind of scary. Player can decide not to play, and if you get anything, you're lucky. Mackenzie, do me a favor. Go get the Bill Barnwell trade analysis. Just, just get the grades on that baby. Because I know it was a second rounder All right. and a conditional fifth rounder. I do know Ngakwe was going to make a little over 17 mil mm-hmm. for Jacksonville this year, and he went to the Vikings. He's only making like a little over 13 mil. So he took a $4 million reduction in pay. Now how does that work? It was a trade, right? Yes. And did he sign an extended contract? I, mean, I how... don't have the details why he's making less. Then you probably don't want to talk about it, do you? Because he could be deferring it. Right? Meaning he could have said, I'll do, I'll do a one-year extension and pay me, you know, let's say his market's X, pay me X plus $4 million. And maybe Minnesota said yes to that because of their current cap situation. Like, do we know? I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, it's possible. What would be, of your uh, faulty, perhaps, assumption, what was the conclusion you were going to get from that? In terms of who won the trade? or in No, terms in terms of, of why, why did you bring it up? Well, because I think it was a sign that, hey, and, and Gakwe is like, oh, let me get the hell out of Jacksonville. I don't want to be here. But he doesn't have any right to dictate where he gets traded to. But you're saying before the trade happened, Minnesota said, yeah, we'll give him a number two or give you a number two, but he better chop down and you know, he better take a haircut, as you would say. Yes. I don't think that's legal. Like, think about how that could be extended where you could say, hey, you want out of here? Well, we're going to send you to Cincinnati uh-huh, or Minnesota, but if you go to Minnesota, you've got to take $3 million. Yeah, sign this now and we'll let your kid go. You know, it, the, they, the NFL really has tried yeah. to stay. I'm not sure what goes on, wink, wink, but that feels, a, and again, it's certainly not a conclusion we have any sense we can be sure about. You got anything, McKenzie? Didn't see Barnwell. The USA Today had a grade, a trade grade column, and they gave the Vikings a C, the Jaguars a B. Whoa. Well, do a quick scan of that and uh, pull, do 12 words on each team. All right. Now, go 11. You hear me? Yep. That's what, what's interesting about that is the Vikings have been so decimated on their defensive line surprising that they're getting a bad grade because they really had to do something. They lost two nose tackles, and they lost Everson Griffin from their defensive line. From last year? Yes. Did they lose Griffin, or did they decide not to resign him? I mean, that was their choice, right? Yeah, that was their choice. And I'm not saying it's still not an absence, but lose implies it was out of their hand. Fair enough. And Pierce was coming over from Baltimore, so he was a guy that they brought in, and then he opted out. So Minnesota, where do you get them in your your preseason power rankings? Second. Number 10, Minnesota. And what does the market say for them? Number 10. Hmm. So you're right on with the market. Yes. I mean, if we would give 40 seconds on Minnesota, would it be, hey, Zimmer's better than you think? Look at his ATS record. But there's been some losses that were not football sexy. That's we're not talking about as much. But Minnesota's thinned out, and obviously Diggs 
And what's the, the running back? What's the current status with the contract dispute in the running back? I believe Dalvin Cook is playing. The last I checked, so that's been resolved. So you check. You have a cycle where you check on Dalvin Cook every what Monday? I'm going from memory. Yeah, looking. I just did a quick Google News here. So the 17th looks like reporting on him coming back to camp. Yeah, so nothing seems to be jumping out, and he's in camp. Okay. Hmm. So you really dislike Green Bay in, in that division, right? NFC North? Yes. All right, so let's think about this. If we say minus a half or minus a full, plus a half, plus a full, let's give five possible grades with even, all right? So it can be... Or you can think of it as a, a one is great, a two is good, a three is even, a four is bad, a five is horrible, as in expectation. So Green Bay is a five? You think they're hor- horrible to expect? I think a, I think a four. All right, four. Uh, Chicago? Five. Detroit? Two. And Minnesota? Four. Three and a half or three point seven. So maybe that's why the Detroit has been bet so much. It's a lot of hey, yeah, we know he laminates paper and has a pencil in his ear, but do you see these other teams? Yeah, the rest of the division definitely got all got worse. What's what is Denver or check that? What is Chicago's division odds? I just don't. I will say this. I'd be more inclined to bet Detroit to win the um, division because I think part of the problem with the pencil and the laminated paper, if the team's winning, they're going to say, huh, maybe he is like Belichick. The real sign of a good coach is if you, you could lose the team, but you don't. I think Patricia is the type that if things are rolling, you're going to like playing for him. I almost say Buddy Ryan, but if things aren't going, it's those nine and seven seasons that are dangerous. So higher ceiling. Yeah, I think that if Detroit gets rolling, who knows where they can go. But then why not play some out, you know, outlier type win the division? But, you know, if you look at their over-under and say, ha, if they need to have one win in the last two games – if they're, mm. I'm not sure that they're not giving up on Patricia at that, or he might be fired at that. So point. they're six and eight, and all of a sudden you're like, "Am I going to get my over seven? Whereas for division odds, yeah. and, and the latest division odds actually are down to five to one in Detroit. The same, the Bears are five to one. Wow. And and where did you have the Bears in your rankings? Where do you have Detroit? One second. Detroit twenty third. Mm-hmm. Chicago twenty first. Boy, that was even close. So you really are down in Chicago. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to give a little tease. <laughs> On Monday's show, Tuesday release, I will give my long shot prop best bet of the decade. No, actually century, but century so far. Because I've never done one of mm. these. I like it. And... It's payoff is over five to one. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And it's in this division. 
and it's a man that walks on two feet, crawls on four, and as an out as he gets older, it's three. <laughs> you get that, Mackenzie? Yeah, it's an old one. An old one, but a good one. Riddle of the Sphinx. Fez is impressive. Wow. Yeah, that was. Wow. <laughs> Did you know that, Mackenzie? No. See, I thought you knew it. And then when you said it was an old one, I'm like, yes, the riddle of the freaking Sphinx is kind of old. Did I step on you, though? No. Yeah, you did. But listen, the fact you knew it, no, you didn't. Because I knew it all along. And I wasn't even sure where I was going. I was probably going to leave it unanswered. Because what happens is people that don't know it but are too lazy to look it up think, I know RJ knows a lot. And it's just like, yeah, that's fine. In a way, you kind of diminished it. You made it real, but took away the mystery. The riddle was solved, Steve, and you got paid 25 cents on the dollar. Well, the, the riddle remains what your play is going to be, though. Yeah, but no one's thinking about that. They're <laughs> thinking about how Steve knows the riddle of the Spanx. All right. I do like this, baby. Let's just say that. What else we got? Yeah, we'll say we, we're talking about Brady's. I'll get, how's this? I'm going to give you 30. No. Yes. I don't know. You're so bad at this. Uh, yeah, I can, I, I, I can I, do it. <laughs> no, I don't want you to pull out your paper and read from it. I really don't. You know what I want you to do? Here, give me that paper. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to rip it in three pieces. Wait, you're, you're ripping my card. Pick one. In fact, I'm going to throw one away. I'm going behind my back. Left or right hand? All right. Now give the presentation from there. All right. So I looked at next generation stats for Brady and for Aaron Rodgers, two guys I am very down on. I have Rodgers, my number 11 quarterback. Why are you talking like you're a robot? All right. I've got Brady, number 19. Almost everyone else has these guys rated higher. And I said, you know what? Let me look at a next gen stat, just how accurate these two quarterbacks are. And as it turns out, the last two years, how accurate have these guys been? Not very accurate at all. In fact, well below average. If you look at Brady the last two years, he, in terms of how many passes does he complete versus expectation, he's been well below expectation. Now, how does expectation get defined? So freeze it. A quarterback's throwing the ball, and next gen says, all right, an average quarterback would complete this pass 64% of the time. And this past 55%, and they look at a, at a quarterback over the course of a season. So wait, hold on a second. So it's a per-play basis in which they're making subjective assessments. Like they're watching the film, and they've got some grade one to nine or whatever. However they do it, and they say, okay, it's a grade seven. That equates to X completion percentage-wise, whatever it is. And then does he complete it or not? And thus, ultimately, you could say, well, Brady didn't have any playmakers. Well, then they wouldn't have been open. He would have got graded as tight throws. So in theory, if the subjective gradings are accurate, this is a pure stat saying, given the givens, how did Brady do versus how a typical NFL quarterback would do? Yes, exactly right. And Brady is... No, no, I, I taught you some of that. It's not exactly right like you're confirming, is it? You confirming? No, you taught me. I mean, yeah. I certainly turned you on to the concept, right? Yes. So how would you be saying that's right? Doesn't that sound like you're the teacher? No. Yes. So why were you trying to mislead the audience? I wasn't. Is it because you don't have your notes? <laughs> I've got I've got a third of them. Yeah, exactly. I should be You're fine. actually it's interesting. It's, it seems like you said exactly what you were said with them or without them. <laughs> there you go. Which tells me you're like memorizing. 
Like, like, do you know when you say, just think? Like, do you have those in a specific place, or they just happen? They just happen. Hmm. Continue. So Brady, the last two years, he's averaged being the number 30 quarterback versus expectation and completion. So how many quarterbacks do they have ranked? It's like, it's like 37 or 38. It's not that many. So not, you know, the QBR, I think, at 30 last year. They have a tough threshold. You're saying more, there's you know, maybe five, six teams that had two. Yes. Right? Correct. Correct. No one had three, I don't think. Yeah, and the great thing is that zero – uh, you're right at what you expected to be in Brady the last two years, minus numbers, minus numbers, obviously worse than average, minus 3.1 and minus 1.2 in 2019, 2018. So let me ask you, the minus 3.1, what in the world could that possibly mean to anybody? Okay. No, no, I'm saying, I'm not asking for you to painfully try to explain the concept. I'm saying you just said those, right? Yes. What, what, what does anyone get from that? The fact that zero is a baseline for an average. Yeah, I understand that. A positive number is good. A negative number is bad. Why did you say minus 3.1? Like, because it could go. Now, if you would have decided crazily to say, you know, I want to give you guys an indication of how bad Brady was. So the minus goes from, you know, obviously like minus one or a small number to minus 99. And you know what he was? He was minus 97. That would make sense. But if you're going to say how bad was he below average, wouldn't saying he's ranked 30th out of 32 NFL starters be enough? Yes. But instead you say, you know, I'm going to go over the top and say minus three. Yeah, you don't need that information. In fact, it actually works at cross purposes. Because if I hear minus three, do I think that's a big minus or a small minus? Small minus. But why would you say and it? It's actually a big minus because instead of completing 64% of the passes like he should have, he completed 61%. Now you're bringing up a whole other point. So the minus number isn't on some crazy scale. It's actually minus or plus based on the expectation of all of these machinations of grading of the percentages completed. You're saying he was 3% below. Yes. So not minus 3. It'd be 3% less than expected. Yes. But you didn't say that. And that is the way I should have said it. That's what it is. I don't even look at this and somehow I was able to get to the bottom of it. Let me give you a little, we should do a little like checklist and say, are you using any numbers that have no purpose? Mm -hmm. And what's amazing is if we had more time, like a lifetime, we could dig into this, but I ripped up his paper. He got a third of it back and was it was the minus three on the little part you got back yes so you felt you looked down at the number right. and you said i must read i must read so i would have been better off just not having the paper and i could say that aaron Rodgers' numbers no, you might have had blown a fuse the last two years were comparable to brady's this is great he's got it says 2019 and there's like seven spaces and it says 32 comma Minus 3.1, 60.8%. You should have just went, well, let, listen, allow me to educate you, the listener. 2019-32, minus 3.1, 68.8, or 60.8%. 2018, colon, 28, comma, minus 1.2, comma, 66%. Comma, Satan is the Lord. Oh, 2017, 
colon. I mean, what the hell? What is this? Well, I just put the next-gen stats. I wasn't going to cite them all. You weren't? I was not. So you just randomly said minus three? I guess you're right. I know what they mean. I mean, but then, but why would you reference them with no context? I, well, that was the mistake I made. <laughs> uh, <laughs> why did you say Satan is the Lord? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I don't want to bet that I didn't say it. <laughs> you know what's wicked is if you look at Brady's actual now the <laughs> the sixty six here. Is what he was supposed to complete? That's what he actually completed. And the minus 1.2 implies he should have had 67.2. Yes. So what you're telling me is Tom Brady in 2018 completed 66% of his passes. And in 2017, he completed 66% of his passes. Yes. So for two straight years, 66%. So if you say, forget the 60, but... Let's go beyond. It'd be 60 or 6, 6, 6. Right? Well, I rounded it 65.8 or 66.2. Or 66.6. Do you know? I mean, what we're saying here is for two years, the mark of the beast (laughs) is what Brady's completion percentage was. And you're saying that's a coincidence. Hmm. Well, it's, you not ju- 60, you ju- it's not. Are you just kidding? What I'm saying? Yeah, I, I just, I just you, got. Do you, the six 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 not jump out at you as the mark of the beast? Well, it was only two sixes. 66, Did you ever go to church? Not sixty six point six. Sixty six. Did you ever go to church? Unitarian. What does that even mean? Good Samaritan Brotherhood of Man. Very little. Oh, so what you're saying is your parents didn't believe in God, but somehow they wanted you to what? Like what? Really? What does that even mean? Did you get back? Like, were you baptized? You did, I actually was. Oh, so they went against the Lord after they baptized yes. you. That's a good bet. It's kind of like Pascal's choice. They figured, get him baptized, but then we don't got We got to go to church that one time. <laughs> Michael Corleone. <laughs> huh. I'm not, listen, I'm not a super religious guy. I always find it funny when kids, when the parents don't want to really be honest about what they believe. <laughs> So they, and then the poor kids got to spend their whole lives like talking about how they're religious, but they're not. And then the minute they break it, but oh, well, this is, I mean, with Johnny, this is what you're doing, right? Because you go to church on Easter. What is it now? We went uh, last Easter. Yes. This Easter, social distance. Right. Which was everybody, you know, there was big, like, I think court cases about can we go to church? So, but did you go to church the Easter before? So every other Easter, unless there's a pandemic. We were at a family reunion, and my aunt is a Mennonite and very religious, so we went to her church. And where was the family reunion at? Indiana, northern Indiana. Oh, my God. We could do a whole podcast on how long it took you to get the missus to go to the family reunion. And then when she got there, she had to get dragged to church. I'm guessing that was a process. It's more me being dragged to church, frankly. Really? Yeah. I'm guessing that is absolutely not true. Meaning, I'm sure you don't want to go to church. But I'm saying in this event, you were, had a smile because you're thinking, look, I can show up at church. All the family reunion people can see me. I can act like, hey, I'm here all the time, baby. Where's the preacher? And then they all go home and think, that Vegas guy goes to church. That's pretty good. 
And you were just, you love, this was like the Steve Fezzik dream. When in Rome. Exactly. <laughs> it was the smallest little effort that you could get all this impact out of. You loved it. But instead you go, no, they had to drag me. No. How'd I know that? Why? I don't accept your mark of the beast, Steve. <laughs> you're, you're ripping my, you're ripping my card. <laughs> all right. Now this, there's certain things you can worship. Dan Blossom's not on the hot key. Hit it, Matt. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Well, considering that this podcast isn't directly endorsed, but we're affiliated with the Lord. Not, not Kevin Sullivan. You know what? You know, in the time shift of stuff, you talked about the devil worshiper Kevin Sullivan. Didn't you? Yeah. Can you believe that? In one podcast, <laughs> there was one wrestler in history that was a devil worshiper. He was out of Florida. We weren't even talking. Was Kevin Sullivan ever in the WWE, WWF? Never. Never. He was from Boston. I don't know, but we didn't ask where he grew up. Was he in the WWE or WWF? I don't think so. And is that true? Yep. Mackenzie, this is pretty interesting. Michael Jordan, who wrote this headline? (laughs) I did. (laughs) You know, people, uh, you know, as someone that's done a little writing for a while with The Ringer and ESPN, you don't write your own headline. So you don't blame the author, the writer for the headline. So Mackenzie's headline says, Michael Jordan, it should be colon space, sold his soul? Question mark. But NBA Finals, he had six MVPs, six rings. You couldn't come up with one more. Is that correct? That Oh, the 1993 playoffs. I thought for his career. But still, in 1993... He had 666 points. And then he mysteriously had to take some time off. Wow. Who, who knows why? You got, there's got to be one more six to complete. And then you could present it as, yeah. listen, there's two ways to look at that. If you count his rent and his MVPs, how many regular season MVPs did he have? Five. Mm. If only they had given him that one. 97. I was thinking 2003 with Washington. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> But anyway, Steve, it is a little weird, and I'm not going to judge you, that you seemingly are on no none of the rosters of churches in, I mean, I did a little research, in mm. the Las Vegas area. You've been in Vegas since 2002? 2001. So 19 years. The year of 9-11, you mysteriously came where Randall Flagg set up home base. Randall Flagg? Isn't that the name from the stand? Who was the devil in the stand? I think it was Randall Flagg. Now, that could be a coincidence. The, was it before or after 9-11? After. So you were somewhere else. The towers went down, and then you show up in Vegas. Okay. And then, in all that time in Vegas, how many times have you visited a church? Twice. <laughs> <laughs> so this Easter was a big deal. It's not every other Easter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you gotta love 
He disarms me. The truth really does disarm me because it's like there's nothing more for me to do. <laughs> and today, you had more sixes on this piece of paper than anyone understands how they could be there. But okay. And then you mentioned when we were talking about the WWE, the only devil-worshipping wrestler ever that I know of that never wrestled in the WWE. And we're all supposed to say, oh, hmm. Hmm. And the fact that you actually co-wrote the script of Rosemary's Baby, how do you answer that? <laughs> now, that's a scary movie. All right. Oh, we had a pick, right? Yes. Well, but hold on. Because of this, I'm letting you go next. I have no proof. In fact, I don't even suspect that Tommy the Hitman has any affiliation with Satan. So first, let's listen to him. NFL Week 2, best bet. Rams, Eagles, under 49. Jared Goff has two massive deficiencies. He struggles on the road, and he struggles against pressure. The Eagles have one of the best pass rushes in the NFL, and Goff has only a 22-17 to touchdown-interception ratio on the road over the last two seasons. The Eagles' defense has managed to stay healthy this offseason, but their offense hasn't. Star running back Miles Sanders is banged up, and the Eagles will likely be without their second and third wide receiver in this game. Plus, they have lost two starting offensive linemen this offseason. The market has aggressively moved a point total in the Eagles' Week 1 game downwards, but hasn't moved a Week 2 line, and I expect they will before this game begins. Best bet, Rams-Eagles under 49. I like this pick because you mentioned today, and I thought you did a good job of it on Straight Out of Vegas, the Eagles are a team that you were pessimistic on and the offensive line injuries were driving that. Yeah, so they lose two starters on the offensive line. Cluster injuries there. We got to be concerned about them protecting Wentz. Wentz hasn't even practiced this week with some kind of a medical issue. And you got a situation, cluster injuries for the Eagles at wide receiver as well. So the Eagles offense. But the wide receiver... These injuries are supposed to be for about a month, right, of the season? Yes, Rieger and Jeffrey. Now, by the way, this um, issue with Wentz, was this disclosed, this injury? It, it was disclosed. But not properly discussed in your mind? Yes. Now, the quarterback for the Eagles, one of the eight most followed teams probably? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, Philly loves the Eagles. Why do you think it wouldn't be properly discussed or sufficiently? Because there's no information about what this injury is. Okay. So that means, wouldn't that create a mystery? It is a mystery. But why no one's is, talking about it. I don't see anybody talking about it. Why do you think it is? I don't know. But you think that's a bad sign. It, it's kind of a free roll where if there's something that is significantly wrong with Wentz, obviously mm. that's going to hurt the offense. And you haven't seen. But how do we tell what market adjustment came from the offensive line injury and what market adjustment comes from the uncertainty yeah, of Yeah, you really can't. Do you think the offensive line adjustment was appropriate? No, I think that there's. It was insufficient? It's insufficient. Then that probably means that Wentz would be on top of that. So that's it's pro yeah, probably not accounted for. Would you agree that if you had to say when's there going to be the effect of all this stuff, that the first month would be more so because, one, that's when the receivers expect to be out, and number two, in general, cohesion on the offensive line isn't properly appreciated. That's two new starters. They're going to be playing a lot worse in theory week two than week 
12. Very much, yes. And thus this pick falls into that. That's why he's the hitman. Yes. He did not need the devil for that. Now, with you and whoever else helps you of this world or the next, give us your pick. Well, I have to say before the Steve, pick. I got a question. Yes. What's on top of your page right there? 666. Why? When did you write that? <laughs> because we. Why is that right there? I will explain. Yes. As a reminder, before I give my pick, we've been talking about my affiliations possibly with the devil and 666 and the like. And I look down. <laughs> and what is my prop bet? I can tell you this my prop bet is on a player named Goddard. Goddard. What are the odds, RJ? I'm going. So you're going against him? I am going on him. Dallas oh, Goddard. So this is like, I don't know, the Proverbs or sheep's clothing or something here. Matt, whatever you do, when he was de denying his affiliation with the devil, triple, clip that up for me. <laughs> Not six times, triple. I mean, how great. Dude, you got to read political 101 stuff or like the way that they got people to actually, they get them to deny, like, like this woman or this dead man in a dress was in his bed. He goes, I am going to say this right now. There was not a dead man in a wig in my hotel room. <laughs> you just did that. But go ahead. All right. So Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard were going over 475 reception yards. Goddard was awesome at the end of the year. He got 300 yards in five games to end the year. Really came on. But my thoughts were, well, wait a minute. Of course, he got all those yards because the Eagles were compromised at wide receiver last year. Remember, they had all these cluster injuries at wide receiver. The odds makers were aware of this and said, you know what? This Goddard's not going to do as well this year as he did last year because these wide receivers are going to take away some of his yards. So even though he got over 600 yards last year and was playing so well, we're going to drop it down to 475. I think that was a proper adjustment. But now what's happened? Wide receiver cluster injuries again. For the first month. For the first month, and who knows how much longer these injuries are going to linger. But well, the, but but remember now, they, he could come. They could come back earlier too. Yes, they could. So when there's an estimate of a month, you know what the best guess is? A month. Yes. So it could be longer, could be shorter. We could say that about anything. But let's assume it's four games out of the sixteen, right? Yeah. Yes. And if it is four games, here's there's no reason to think that Dallas Goddard isn't going to go for another three hundred yards in the first five games. You want to bet of that? Yeah. Five games? Yeah. Yeah, I'll bet. So you're going to say 305 games. Yes. And that means there'll be 11 games left. And how many yards do we have to get to go over what? 175 more, only over 475. And to what degree do you think the extra – so based upon the two players that are out for the month estimate being healthy – Goddard is the third receiver, or the he's the tight end. He's the number two tight end. Number two Zach, tight end behind Zach Ertz. Yes. So you figure they go more two tight end sets. It's what they did last year in the same circumstance. But if Goddard got, let's say, three hundred and five yards, just over, you win. What would the odds be after? Four games or five games are we saying? I thought we said four is the number these players are going to be out. But yes. you're saying five. I, I just said five because. Yeah, that makes sense. I get it. So if they were sitting at 5 or he was sitting at 505, what would be your odds at that exact point for the rest to go over the season long? I'm sorry, sitting at 505? Um, oh, I'm sorry. We said 305, right? So you said five games, 300 yards. Yeah, was okay. our bet. 
I'm saying if he just went over that by a smidge. He would be a monster favorite to get to 475 because he'd be on track basically to get to the 600 yeah, plus. Is he should get a little over 600 for the year. Because you're saying the reduced chances accounted for, but still. Yes. All right. All right. I'll bet you. Um, you want to do the whole 300? Let's do it. So first five games, he needs to get 300, 300 and a half. Is 300 and a half. Kathy, do me a favor. Where'd you get this, these odds from, first of all? I'm always worried when you're too quick to bat. DraftKings. All right, they're going to be inflated. You got That's a square shop, I'd have to say, right? And it's 500 and how many for, for the whole season? 475. So they only have to get 175 more? Yeah, out. Jeez, this is too good to be. Why do you like this? I, I, I think no, the numbers, I, I can get the. I, can I think get, the number's way too low. I think that, that his so production. Is, this, is it like, where would you start betting the season long? If you kept increasing, where is it at, you know, at that point, it's 52%, let's say. 600. So it's like 125 yards off. Yeah, I really think it is. And the Hitman's on this, Javi? Hitman likes it. I mean, it's where it came from, right? And listen, that's what's great is you get all the stuff and you winnow it down. Hmm. Well, you know, it shows you guys how much I like. When Fez and the Hitman are together... Even if I'm getting like this amazingly good bat or price, I'm not sure it's good. But you're involved, Steve, and I. The Satan's never had luck against me, so I'm feeling pretty good. And you negotiate, obviously. You're getting 300 for five games at a. First of all, I didn't negotiate yeah. any of that. I you you, you I negotiate my against myself, which makes me scared. Is what I'm saying. Is that the art of the deal? Yeah. <laughs> Continue, please. Are you? I'm what done. Else you got? I'm done. What do you think of this, Pig McKenzie? I mean, as you studied what the hitman said. I think it's right on. I think you guys have a pretty good wager. I just looked up the last five games from Dallas Goddard in 2019, 309 yards. But the question is. That's what I presented. No, yeah. He's saying, but he double-checking your info is just standard procedure. (laughs) So, but what we're saying is the market knows that. You know what worries me? How many, is this thing up anywhere else? No. Not that we uh, found. So we got a rogue. There's some drunk college kid probably made these numbers. What's the limit on this bet at DraftKings? Probably 500. Uh, hmm. All right. I got to negotiate an out. <laughs> you know, Shantan, I might even be negative expectation here, but I, I'm not going to let the devil or the terrorist win. So <laughs> the bet's on. God hurts. Over 475, and our bet is on I'm betting over 300 and a half yards first five games. Uh-huh. Last thing, if you had to make a guess, I mean, and say an exact number of the yards he'll gain, what would it be? 666. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm impressed he knew where I was going, but he knew instantly, <laughs> almost like somehow someone told him. The rest of the show is not this scary, kid. So get if you if the kids were listening, you put them to bed. The rest of it is a, more about children. And I mean, would you agree with this, Steve? At one point, you explained where your personal self-interest were something you'd prioritize over your only son, your only child's very life. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it is true. In mathematical terms. That's what everything is, Steve. Like, Sophie's Choice was in mathematical terms. Listen up, see you on Tuesday release, Monday taping. Have a good weekend.
Fezzik will be laboring on Labor Day. Steve, it's me, the Dark Lord. Don't worry about what RJ says. He'll get his in the end from our minions from below. You will have my support till the end of time. That's our deal. Enjoy Vegas. I want to start in a pressing matter. Fez, we originally were going to record Monday at 3. And I sent an email to these guys, and the response says, Mackenzie and Fezzik. Now, Mackenzie is the one that responded, but he referred to himself in the third person. That's interesting. He said, Mackenzie and Fezzik would like to ask, would it be possible to do it earlier, perhaps at 11? <laughs> so, Mackenzie, first off, my question is, explain to me on, in a TikTok sort of way how the machinations went from my e original email to you sending that email. Well, we're doing the prep, and I get that email. I say, hey, Fez, hey, Matt, do you get that email? Few minutes later, Fez walks into my room. He says, or our, our office with me and Matt, and he says, um, "Yeah, thinking about it, I think uh, earlier would work better for me. Earlier would work better for you, right?" So of course, I I agreed. It's fine. I don't really care. No, but so in truth, what you're saying is, would you have possibly brought up, "Hey, let's do this earlier," if it wasn't for Fezzik? Um, no. Short answer. So. If someone said we could do it at three and you have to pay us $5 or do it at 11, what time would you rather do it? The one where I don't have to pay any money. So you are literally, it's not worth $5 of difference to you. Nope. So Steve, what was your thought process? My wife's birthday Monday. So See, it seems like her birthday. Like, is, it, is it like a birthday month? <laughs> It is literally her birthday it's Monday. It's literally her birthday Monday, okay. so I wanted to clear my schedule. Well, I, I think that makes it, I don't know about clear your schedule, but, but I think having a nice, you know, four, six hours of like, you know, I get that. Clear the schedule? Like, what does that mean? Like, what's your schedule? I mean, I got to make sure I'm not doing all my charity work that day. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. So did you check with her? No. See, that's the mistake. Because no matter what you do, it's not going to be the right move. So what I'm going to do is actually hold back of notifying Matt of the change. Tell her, hey, listen, I got, and let's just be realistic. With travel time, I need four hours of work on Monday. They're saying, because it's your birthday, they can be as flexible as we need to be. If I, you know, 11 is the time, you know, you can tell Mackenzie what time he wants it, you know, again. <laughs> right? So, so. But all joking aside, it is her, but make sure she's happy. Because the worst thing to do is to change everyone's schedule, and then she's still pissed. Yes. But, and again, that's probably the definition of marriage in some cases. Not Good you. call. Yeah, yeah, I'll get back so, to it. So you might, yeah, it, it might be worth, if we take a break here, give her a call to give something to think about so we don't, don't want to have this push until tomorrow. But we'll be flexible. My gut feeling is, yeah, I think you're right. Because I was thinking at least your instincts of earlier, because I was thinking that people usually do Labor Day, like a picnic or an, a usually come the end of, you know, three, four o'clock Labor Day, everyone's sick of it, you know, and they're going to go sit and take a nap on the couch or whatever. But if it's something like a birthday, then, you know, people are going to go out to dinner 
you know, that makes sense. So earlier would be better. But let her choose. That way, it's hard to be mad if she chose. Yes. And if she says, well, I don't want you working at all on my birthday, you'd be like, okay, then we're going to have to go to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> say, you know, yes. it's a couple of choices. <laughs> Clear my schedule. <laughs> you know what's funny? A lot of people think, and rightfully, I think in some ways so, like, how does RJ know that there was something? Yeah, you picked up on No, just I could get a little, like, napkin and draw it for you. Fezic, and then I draw, a, I put Fez, F-E-Z-Z, in a straight line and put a dollar sign and put hearts. Right? You like, like little red hearts. You love money and you're scared of your wife. Like there'd be a picture of like yes. a woman with like a baseball bat, but not held like you're hitting it, but held about halfway up like, a, like an abuser would. You know, like you see it depicted. And then... A guy with a humongous pompadour that's like jet black, but almost with his hands over his head, but he can't cover up the pompadour, almost like it's one of those 1970s hurricane-type prevention in the schools where you go under the desk and, 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 and put your hands above your head. Or like, like, do you ever do that, Matt? We had earthquake drills. Like that. that they always said yeah. tornado for us. Yeah, under the desk, cover your head. Yeah, you'd be in a position like that. And that would be it. Just say, in general, is, how does Fez make more money? And then, and then, in general, Fez is scared of his wife. So that guides all of my insights, really. So I thought, in this case, money. Well, he's making money by doing this, you know, directly, indirectly, whatever. And then it's like... Hmm, his wife. Okay, I had no idea it was her birthday again. Jesus. At this point, she'd be like 70 if she has like three a year. How many times have you lied and said it was her birthday when it was like some like anniversary or something? Never. Then just ran. But, but I use my son's birthday as well. Of oh, of course. I mean, that, that is like a coronation. <laughs> uh, all right. You know, it'll be interesting throughout, like, just this football, the various times I dig in and find things out, and I'll say, remember the, the napkin? And maybe we'll add a corollary, but I don't think so. I don't think we need to. You know something, though, net-net, it proves that the wife abuse should be, or the wife's abusing should be second because really... A lot of the listeners are thinking the fact he's doing anything on the, it's Labor Day and his wife's birthday, and it's like you're right. Except corollary number one, the love of money, is so much stronger that in that case it was a battle, and it led you to say, "Could we reschedule, but only within you know four hours earlier?" Yeah, but if there was something that you had to lose money because you were afraid of the wife. That would never happen. It's not powerful. It's like a magnet that can't pick up a rock. You see what I'm saying? Now, imagine, though, if the wife wants you to make money in a given case and you're falling short, so both of them are working together. That's actually how black holes are created in nature. <laughs> They'll tear you apart. <laughs> I, I got to be honest. Mackenzie not responding to that. I actually have downgraded him in my own head <laughs> at this point. Like, I, 
I'm just hoping that you. Where'd res- that come from? Black holes in nature. That one went right it over my great. head. It was great. It was so great. I was like, it's like you're reading Vonnegut and you don't know how good it is. Well, listen, Vonnegut. All right. <laughs> you know, his first name's Kurt. Um, I'm thinking Mackenzie. I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking both his hands. Like, what were you doing at that point when you heard the bike? Were you thinking of something else? I chuckled. I was. I was looking up. Oh, scores on ESPN.com, but I, I heard it and I, lo- I laughed. But you realized we didn't hear your laugh. I thought you would because uh, Matt had pressed the button. So you look to see if he pressed the button. So they're in the control room and you don't want an open mic all the time because you'd hear, well, Juan McKenzie's chewing, mm-hmm. his, the, you know, his knees cracking at age 30. <laughs> I mean, a lot of sounds you don't want to hear. I mean, if you could smell it, you wouldn't listen to the podcast. But luckily... You can't, but you wouldn't want to hear all that. So when they talk, they click their button. But if they want to join in in the laughter, they want, you know, it makes sense. I like it. Nothing like a dry room to kill laughter or kill someone else's laughter. So you glanced over yep. and, and said, ah, I don't need to, like, like, how far away is your button from your hand at the time that you glanced over? It was about a foot and a half. And you figure you'd rather glance over and have the <laughs> cognitive load to see if he pressed it as opposed to pressing it. When you say it like that, it sounds ridiculous. But, yeah, that was my thinking. But, listen, all comedians are not necessarily appreciated in their time. <laughs> right? Oh, there we go. There we go. And Steve, now this isn't Steve in reality, right, Steve? You're right here right now, right? Now you're confusing me. I'm here. You're here. But this is your inner spirit animal right now. (laughs) (laughs) So you laugh just in a different way. (laughs) I do a lot of things in a different way. Let me ask you a question. Uh How often do you laugh? Because the thing about laughter is it's involuntary. You could tell someone... I'll give you a million dollars not to laugh for the next hour. And if they, now here's the thing. If you were like a master meditator, you could block out any input. So it could be the funniest, you know, Richard Pryor in his prime best 10 minutes of his life. But if you, if it was in a foreign language, you wouldn't laugh, right? Cause you wouldn't understand right. it. But if there was a way to say that you're going to consume, like be guaranteed that it gets consumed by you do you think that you could not laugh for an hour if if you were bombarded with funny things oh no way i'd lose and there was a game show called make me laugh that had that very premise where comedians knocked people out by making them laugh with a with your wife's baseball bat knocked them out (laughs) (laughs) there you go that was a chuckle i like that so that sounds interesting so what percentage of the time First of all, how do you know this? I used to watch it when I was growing like up as a kid. kid. Yeah, like they, it's now, would you, 30 years. So part of it was you. Well, no, you weren't a kid 30 oh, years. 40 years, yeah. 50, 45 <laughs> years. Holy cow. It's like, you mean in the 15 years since I graduated college? It's like, it's been 35. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. You're 30. But your hair looks like you're 25. I'll take it. I mean, you know, the whole Fletch thing, but it's like. He's 55, but his hair is 25. <laughs> and his shoe polish in it is less than two years old. <laughs> ah. 
<laughs> so did you try not to laugh? Would, would the the what? If you were watching the show, was your participation like trying not to laugh yourself? No, I would just laugh. I wouldn't participate. So you just like laugh. What percentage of the time were you laughing? Do you think? Because you were saying you were you weren't trying to fetter. You were unfettered in your laugh. I think. I would laugh like every 90 seconds. These comedians were really funny. I still remember one saying like a contestant, like look to the right. Mm -hmm. And the comedian walks up and says, you know, you got to look at me, don't you? And he knocked out that, con that contestant laughed four seconds in. It was like the fastest knockout in show history. <laughs> and it was saying, you know, you got to look at me. <laughs> yes. That, he was that... trying not to look over. No, I understand. But why would that be f like? I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> How old were you? Ten. And you still think it's funny? Yeah. Do you think it's any less funny than you did then? Yes. <laughs> I don't I don't think you do. I think you think it's just as funny. So which one is it? It's just as funny. <laughs> Showtime! Woo! Game seven, Denver. Now listen, that was a hell of a game. We're gonna talk about that and what it means to the game seven trends out there over unders. Steve Fezzik, who has Boston over Toronto with me, just coincidentally has a note that says Boston has the look of a contender. The 2-0 isn't enough. We're going to do limited NFL, just the stuff that's extra topical because it's going to be such a focus on Monday. So we're recording Monday when Fezzik's wife tells us we can. <laughs> Don't say I haven't sacrificed for this business. I mean, look, every time they're laughing now, yeah. <laughs> It'd be like, you were going to show him. We're going to show him. When does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? See, if I just had, now I could have went in there and trimmed the beginning on that and just said, how much is enough? Now, that would have been good. Uh, these guys, they, just, they laugh like seven times. <laughs> Eight. It's been like two weeks since there was eight laughs in a, you know, like in two weeks. Right or wrong? So how much have they been laughing? Oh, they laughed as much as they did all of last week. In the last three minutes. <laughs> yes. Ah, there he it's goes. Contagious. I don't, it's contagious. <laughs> 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 uh, let me just say this. It's going to make a sexy scar. But it still will be a scar. So, All right. <laughs> What was in those brownies, Mackenzie? <laughs> I don't know, Fez. You, you have experience with this. Why don't you tell us how to make a good brownie? Wait. I just consumed. I did not no. cook. Uh, what? <laughs> That's great. That was actually funny. <laughs> you know, there's certain kinds of funny, if someone unfunny says it, it stops it from being funny because you don't know if they're trying to be funny. Yes. Yes. That was interesting. Like, what did it, in your, how did that happen in your mind? <clears throat> Meaning, you didn't ever say that phrase in your life, right? Never. Now, it feels like an old joke that was in my crew when we were kids, or, you know, high school. They did something, this funny little group. I mean, they weren't like a traveling troupe or whatever, but they were known as funny people. They did something called the A-Gang. Now, remember, the A-Team was... You know, the Mr. T show. Yes. Were you a fan of the A-Team? Love the A-Team. I love the A-Team. But I was like, let me see, I was still playing Little League. So I would have been, what, nine, ten? You're like, 
you know, almost 10 years old. So you were like 16, 17, and you liked the 18. I did. That makes sense, actually. Now I think I was precocious, but yeah, I think it was normal for you to like it. Who, who Mr. T was your favorite? Um, Murdoch, the crazy pilot. You know, I would have bet everyone except Mur. I would have thought Hannibal was your guy after Mr. T. Mm. He wasn't. I like Murdoch. You then just, Mr. T. So you just really, the, if there was a, a a borderline learning disabled child, who do you think they? You know, again, we'll be friends. Who do you think they would have liked on the eighteen? <laughs> Probably Murdoch. And who would have been second? Mr. T. Hmm. Have you ever been accused of doing something you didn't do? Well, it happened to me in Mexico City. That might be the greatest of all time. <laughs> I mean, if it you know, happens in Mexico City. I think if we put together the whole jock sniffing with you and, 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 Carl, and the Mr. Tina Murdoch, is you wanted nothing more to be normal. Like, it, you... You knew you were abnormal, and you just wanted to be one of the gang. Like, mediocrity, you didn't, that didn't scare you. It was what you aspired to, right or wrong? I don't know. I don't think I thought about it, to be honest. You didn't think about it. I don't think I walked around saying, hey, I'm abnormal. Here when well, why did you just say that in the Fonz's voice? <laughs> <laughs> hey, like, who, who says hey? I mean, it was literally like the Fonz. Why? Why was that? I was, I was a big fan of Fonzie too. Now, and so was we'll call him Jimmy. So was Jimmy, the slightly learning disabled child. Huh. Who else did you love? I mean, just in that age, what was your thing? Lenny and Squiggy, <laughs> Vernon Shirtless. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, this could be the lowest IQ rundown of talent. Get a couple more. Jack Tripper, Three's Company. Hilarious. And did you think it was funny every time there was a misunderstanding? Like, guess what happened on Three's? You never realized that every show had a misunderstanding? <laughs> I never picked up on that. Do you see it now in hindsight? I'm thinking about it. Give me a moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, name, I'm guessing you could name like five or six episodes. Like one at a time if you just thought back. Oh, it's been so long. I think about Larry, his buddy Larry. I always liked Larry. The guy that got the girls. He tried. No, he tried to get the girls. I don't think he got the girls. He was away on a lot of weekends. Yeah. I mean, think about you as a single person and how often you'd go away with a woman or, you know, like every three years, maybe? What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how long was Larry? How often was Larry away? Like every other weekend. Uh huh. It wasn't just his contract. Yep. I mean, sometimes the sitcoms have contrivances <laughs> due to contract. Larry was getting some. Yes. I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, I wouldn't bet my life on it because I got a picture of Larry in my head. He had like the, he had the teased up hair, but it was a very thin, you know, like if he were to put shoe polish in there, he was done. Like it, it would have been like <laughs> gooks up, but. So he was like an aging Lothario, but it felt like, and he was very creepy. Like in hindsight, there was probably something he'd be arrested for today going yeah. on. And that was your favorite. Him, I like Mr. Roper but also. You but by the way, you just said Larry. Mr. Roper, we haven't heard his name. <laughs> 
Larry was my favorite, I think. And really, if you think about it, the guy who was for a hormonally raging, frustrated to the nth degree teenager, Larry. So what we're saying is a slightly learning disabled child who had, uh, he was precocious with hormone. He had, let's say, premature hormone surging. That was you. Because you like the potential um, sexual harasser or who knows, right? Harassment probably would have been a good weekend for the woman. I think that's fair, yes. And fawns. Mm-hmm. And you didn't really like any of that. Like a lot of people would say, Potsy's like me or mouth, mouth. You hated them. They were too. They were so much like you. You said, "Go, please, no, no, don't trigger me." Did Potsy <laughs> trigger you? No. Ralph, I think a little bit. <laughs> that was funny too. <laughs> a little bit. No, it was funny. It was. It was funny. I, <laughs> were you trying to be funny there? No. <laughs> You know, that actually makes me feel better because if he was trying to be funny there, it would have been like he's been funny a couple times. All right, we'll, we'll just do this one more. Give me one more person in that era you really liked. Uh, Steve Austin, $6 million man. So the man whose body was so built up <laughs> that, that no human could replicate it. Yes. And you don't see any, any trend here yet. Mm. Think about it. Do you see that these were probably the four or five people that were the most unlike you in TV? Like, would you, did anyone see you and think, you know who he reminds me of? The $6 million man. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Right? Right. And if anyone was even less like you, the font. Oh, yeah. Though maybe in a meta sense, you were like the fonts. Because if you actually watch Happy Days, and again, it's been a long time now, the Fonz was like five foot six. Now you're you're tall. I mean, you're what six foot six four with the pompadour. Yes. <laughs> he says yes, yeah, like you know, no. <laughs> like of course, yeah, it's about four inch. Is <laughs> is any and if you look at the leather jacket, I've talked about this. It actually looks like the kind you'd get like a Dillard's. Where it's got like the wool and it hugs, but like a cool, like if you look at, we were looking at chess player Kasparov, that leather jacket, Mackenzie, that he had no wool that was making sure the sleeves were nice and tight for, to protect from the cold wind, did he? No, all style. I mean, it was all style. No, that's great. All style. I haven't heard that. No utility. The Fonz was, he, he was ready for the Milwaukee winners. Let me just <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> It's like no cool person, at least the cool I understand. There might be different cools. I know there's not, but there could be one day. He's going to ever want a leather jacket like that. Like, it looks like your mom bought it for you. But that was Fonzie's leather jacket. So in a way, and it doesn't matter. It's not, a, but let's just agree. We don't think of the Jewish faith as like, oh, that's a factory of cool. Do we, Matt? We do not. <laughs> right? I mean, Mackenzie, from the nation's perspective, <laughs> what are you laughing? That I represent the nation <laughs> of the people. <laughs> but Mackenzie, if let's say your sister said, hey, Mackenzie, 
I'm dating a Jewish fellow. Your first thought is and how how cool he's going to be. No, my sister actually married a Jewish fellow, and I never once did I think, wow, that's a cool dude. <laughs> that's funny. You know, speaking of the Mackenzie Files, he said one of the funniest things today. He didn't know it was funny. Matt, when, when, when he started talking about how his mom implored him when he moved to Vegas to, <laughs> to, to hide his personality when in public, it, I mean, there was so much truth coming out, <laughs> right or wrong. I believed his mother was in the room with us. <laughs> I mean, now, now think about it, everyone. Think about what could be the warning of Mackenzie's mother. Now, how old were you when you were moving to Vegas? 22, 23. So just out of Yale, probably already a disappointment, right? <laughs> right? Because they're expecting you to like, you know, like, yeah. yep, I'm working for Senator or, you know, <laughs> actually President Obama said next year with him, but I'm, you know, I'm with his wife now, <laughs> you know, we think she may run. No, instead it's like, uh, I'm thinking of playing some one-two poker <laughs> up across the Canadian border. I can make it home on the weekends, right? If something like that. I, I, I told my mom and she didn't believe me. I said, give me 500 bucks. You'll never have to worry about me again. I'm going to go play poker. Is that what you told her? That's a word for word. <laughs> and how soon were you back living in your room? <laughs> uh, I, I never moved directly back, but I did need a little assistance. I thought you were going to say I never moved out. <laughs> <laughs> so... Finally, though, it's a couple years later. Somehow she taught you into getting out finally. And what was her, you know, they always say, like, and my father told me, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) and what we should do to kind of set it up, because this is one of the greatest moments, in my opinion, in TV history. Now, you may disagree. It's possible. To me, this is one of the great things about YouTube. There's just things you would never expect to be on. But the 1991 Grammys, so music, uh, Jack Nicholson gave Bob Dylan a Lifetime Achievement Award. Now, it's been 30 years since then. So he was like 40 years old at this. Let me think. He was 20 and 60. So Yeah, so he was about 50 at this point. And Dylan was in a tough stage, I you know, speculation was there was a lot of alcohol and a lot of, you know, specifically cocaine during this time. I don't know that. That's speculation. It would be so cool if I knew. If I knew anything. And I was like, yeah, Bobby told me that 91 was a tough year. But no. And, <laughs> and this was literally the day or the day after we started the 1990, or I don't know if we started is the right way to say it, but the Gulf War uh, with Kuwait, you know, with protecting, I guess, in theory, Kuwait, um, had just started the night before or, you know, right at the same time. But it was not even three days. And at the time, and this is so interesting in hindsight when you say Iraq and, you know, Sodom, or is at the time it was Saddam or however they said, Bush, H.W. said, but Saddam, he used to say, Saddam Hussein. He, Saddam sounds worse, doesn't he, than Saddam? I think so. It's like Satan, Saddam? <laughs> Saddam. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting, actually. And <laughs> I was watching on YouTube, and it was the dude on Fox that's the, the, like, he wears a bow tie type dude. Tucker Carlson, right? You know him. He was talking about 
the guy on CNN, Lemon, Don Lemon, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they compete against each other, I think, right? At the same time, he was calling him Don Lamont. And, like, it seems like that's his theme. I don't know if he's been doing this for years. But, like, he would say, and the thing about Don Lamont, and to me, that's hilarious. Like, if you take some, like, if you're doing, like, a Trumpian battle with someone, and if you find a way to, like, actually take their name from them, that there will be people who say, well, Don Lemon, who's Don Lemon? It's like, well, the, no, no, that's Don Lamont. It's a, that like you've lost at that point. If 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 that can stick, right? When someone's calling you lying, Ted, you've lost. But, but to me, if you look back at the '91 war, about a month after it, the approval rating for Bush was like 91 percent. It's the crazy. Like, it was crazy. Like, imagine what could you do and get 91% today, no matter which side you're on. You just couldn't. couldn't. We were so happy with that war, because think about it. We hadn't fought since Vietnam. Any war that lasted more than a day or two, right? Whatever you want to say about the, uh, those very small conflicts. And Granada, I guess, right? And we went in there and kicked butt. I mean, it was like, whew. And it's like, wow, we're tough. And, that, you know... That was really, unless I'm missing something, the main fighting between, you know, 74 and W's escapades. And, uh, you know, I guess that would have been early 2002. If I, or, I don't know, was it May? But, yeah, after 9-11. The idea that this Gulf War had that kind of love, I guess makes sense in context, but today, if you think about how war-weary we are as a country... And that's people that didn't really have to, you know, a lot of people didn't have to sacrifice anything effectively. But, you know, which is always a debate, right? If you're in war, if the country feels it, there's going to be less inclination to keep it going. If you don't feel it, you know, it's hard to say, I, I care that much. And I don't blame people for that, right? But obviously, if someone had kids fighting in Fallujah, it'd be like, okay, maybe we should reconsider this, which is why I think the draft... A lot of people think, and I think there's some truth to this, that not having a draft exacerbates any inclination to go to war because most of the people that are making the decisions, not only don't they have kids in the service, but they don't know people that have kids in the service. So, oh, you got to say, that's what they're getting paid for, right? That, that can be the default, but... I think we talked about that movie that was like 1995 or it might have been right before this conflict in which the character said, you know, since Vietnam, we've been in, you know, three days of fighting. So the people who are now colonels and generals had like never fought before. And that was a whole generation of Americans that served the 20 years, got their pension that, you know, by good luck for them in the country, didn't have to fight. And then now you think if you've been in there since 9-11, you could literally have started, you know, on 9-11, you joined the next day like Michael Corleone after Pearl Harbor. And you could almost be retired with 20 right now and have never had a day without a war going on. And I mean, that is wrong. I mean, you know, so one way or the other, that's not good. So anyway, Dylan, who is a natural contrarian, iconoclast. <laughs> Everyone's celebrating the war. 
we won, we won, you know, that kind of stuff. And he comes on the Grammys and plays the punkiest version that Dylan's ever played of Masters of War, which is a song about the military industrial complex that he wrote in, in 63, which was what Eisenhower talked about um, in his farewell address. Uh, the idea that there was built, so much money being made on the getting ready for war that we would find a way to fight no matter what to keep the money flowing. You know, Halliburton perhaps. So it was a, you know, it's a young man's song, it, you know, because it's very one-sided, you know, but it's a great young man's song, but he didn't play it much for 20, you know, at this point it had been 63 it's been 30 years almost since he wrote it. And he comes out and plays a punk version of it that you could almost not understand. If you didn't know the words, you had no idea what it was, which was very subversive in a way. Like, I'm going to go in front of the country and give you a message, but you got to have the decoder ring. And I would say, if, you're, if that interests you, what I just said, is just search on YouTube, Bob Dylan, at the at sign, 1991 Grammys. And that's the video I'm going to play here. But I'm not going to play the song because you got to see it. He has a beard. He looks like he hadn't slept in three days. All right, unshaved. But then after he told a story, Dylan, about what his father taught him. So this is Mackenzie's mother. We'll see what the, Dylan said about his father, then Mackenzie's mother, and see if there's any connection. Thank you. Well, um, all right. Yeah. Well, my daddy, he didn't leave me too much. You know, he's a very simple man, and uh, he didn't leave me a lot. But what he told me was this. He did say, son, he said, uh, he said so many things, you know. He said, you know, it's possible to become so defiled in this world that your own mother and father will abandon you. And if that happens, God will always believe in your own ability to mend your own ways. <laughs> Thank you. That was when you laughed? <laughs> what was funny? Just... Comparing it to myself, what would I would do if... if uh... Oh, you were so selfish. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Mackenzie, Mackenzie. Does that just ring your head, Mackenzie, Mackenzie? Or is it me, me, me? Is, do you think of yourself as Mackenzie or me? It's like a montage of different people saying Mackenzie, including myself. It's, it's, yeah, but you're, it's actually others, but you're <laughs> in the crowd. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the Mackenzie files, yeah. But you're the one that knows the most. <laughs> so that's not the one that likes you the best, I yeah, promise you. I, I, I hope not. So... It's a very, you know, it's funny because they said, by all accounts, he talked extemporaneously on that. And it wasn't prepared. But the ultimately, if you listen to the, 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 the message, it's a pretty powerful one. And, and Dylan was in some tough times, you know, himself. So I liked it. But Mackenzie, what did your mother say? She told me when I was moving to Vegas, she was very worried. She said, Mackenzie, you don't understand how angry you make people. You're going to get shot at a poker table if you don't watch yourself. Flag it. That's great. Because when he, just think how great the job's going to be. It's like, you got to watch yourself. 
You don't know how people react to you. <laughs> take it from take it from your mother. I understand how bad you are. <laughs> Wasn't quite Dylan, but in a way, it's the same thing. Your mom's saying you're so bad you could get killed for who you what you are. And but God not, would still love me. Yes. And what Dylan's dad said was, no matter how bad you are, God <laughs> will still love you. So this is really one, you know, your step one. In fact, I'm guessing your mother's going to say something like this at some point in the next six months. <laughs> it will be part two, finally. Like you've gone to Vegas. I completely have lost any hope in you, but don't worry. There's always salvation. There is the afterlife. <laughs> As you ask her for the $500 again. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Listen, purgatory, it's not that long. As Polly Walnut said, you can do 500 years standing on your head. <laughs> you remember that one, Matt? Uh, when he was in jail? No, no. No. He was talking to Christopher after Christopher got shot, and he said, "Is he goes, was it hot in hell? If you know anything about hell, hell is hot. Was it? <laughs> and then, remember? it was Yeah, it, when he was in the hospital bed. Yeah, yeah he goes, no, he goes, you're in purgatory, my friend. <laughs> How do you watch that show in like like within the last six months and not know that? I don't have a good memory. I just don't. We can have fun with Matt's fancy education till we're blue. Fez, I do have a question with you. We might as well get all the family stuff out at once. Johnny's back in school. Yes. What grade's he in? Fifth. And he and he skipped one year, so he should be in fourth. Yes. And he's at the same school he's been at since what grade? Preschool. So, so this was about, you know, private school. And are all the private schools in Vegas having in classroom, you know, students in school, you know, physically? Or is it some of them? I don't know. I believe that most of them most are. are, yes. And none of the public schools. Correct. Is that right, Matt? Is there any public schools doing this? No public schools, and as far as I know, charters are not as well. Oh, and charter, how would you explain a charter school? Uh, State-subsidized private education. So the question would be to me, why wouldn't, if you cared, and again, some parents just don't care about academics, obviously there's a, that's imperfect, but would you, other than that minority, why wouldn't every parent want their kid in a charter school? Many do, and there are wait lists for the yearly lottery to get in. All right, so it's random. Correct. And once you're in, are you in through high school? You are in as long as that school teaches through that grade. Oh, okay. But if the school shuts down for some reason, you're going to go right back in the lottery. You'll have to apply to a lottery for a different school. It's per yeah. school. Yes. Oh, oh, so you're saying someone could be, are you limited to applying a kid to just one lottery? Or could you have them in like 19 different lotteries across all the charter schools? Uh, you can have in many different lotteries. So then if someone gets selected in one, but they're selected in another, so they probably have a second and third drawing as like they have three days to affirm and then they redraw or how does that work? I would imagine there are enough applicants that they wouldn't need to redraw. They just go to the next one. Oh, so what you're saying is it wouldn't be they're picking out 200 people that they probably pick a number and then the next 200 on the list get there. Yes, that's my understanding. Uh, see, the NBA does something. I was reading about the NBA lottery. There's something where they just pick either three or four numbers and they know all of it based upon that, which in theory, 
if you had, uh, you know, let's say 200 people on a list and you were going to take 20, if you picked one number and said it's this in the next 19, that would work in theory. I guess you'd be concerned about fixing that would be easier than fixing something that there was like, you know, a bunch of different drawings for. I'm thinking of the lottery uh, for the NBA, for example. Sure. Now, Steve, when you hear about this, do you think, ah, poor man's problems? Like, because like for you, there's no lottery. It was the lottery of meeting me so that you can now sign a check. Oh, you know, we'll say that those two super contests helped a little bit, but how do you feel when Matt is talking about this? Is it like impatient? Like, I don't care. Like, why is these, you know, the, why is the hoi polloi concerns bothering me? Or are you thinking, huh, my instinct is to be impatient right now, but you know, I'm very lucky that little Johnny gets to go to private school. Do you have that thought? Like, boy, we're lucky. Or are you thinking about like Homer Simpson with a pork chop, but it's somehow it's a dollar sign band. I mean, What's happening in those moments? I'm thinking about like 2013 when I meet you at the South Point, and like like I, I, that was the first time we met. I don't even remember that. I, yeah, and I was I feel like I, it's like in retrospect spinning the spinner and, and jackpot comes I'll take up. It, baby. All right, I'll take it. But it does. And but listen, it wasn't your first jackpot. When does Johnny start coming in for a monthly? I'll pay him. So think about this. 20 minutes with Johnny at the, I don't know. And you know, this would be the one time we'd have to, we would actually edit for content. We'd be very clear. And we'd say, Steve, you can't be here during the conversation, but you can observe from the control room (laughs) with like a Hannibal Lecter, get up, you know, so you're, (laughs) you're locked in. So you would feel safe he's, you know, being, um, you could, I would know you're watching. So, you know, and then you could then veto anything. As I say, we can't have that. We can't, but here's what happens. We're going to take 10% of your salary and put it into a, an auction type situation where I will try to bid the right to use it. I got 75 And the theory is that if we came to a fair amount of things to use, you would use up your whole I would I would be paying you effectively enough to make up the 10%. If you somehow said, you know, screw it, Johnny's tough, and you let more things through, you might get 13% back. So you would make three extra. Per- you see what I'm saying? You're following this? I am. He's the eyes are lighting up going, you know, there could be some money in there. <laughs> and the theory is we'd find equilibrium. And then in the end, the, the country would get to follow Johnny. And, it, and it, we do this all the way through. I don't, college. I don't think mama's going to be on board. But remember the whole auction system. Well, I still don't think mama's going to be on now, board. You do realize that one of the signs of a truly demented person is that causes wife, like mom. Oh God! I mean, like, there, those people where I grew up, <laughs> and one of them's like one of my favorite people. I mean, they they've been parents in their minds so long. It'd be like, hey, you going out tonight, Scotty? And it's like, uh, he goes, hey, Mama, we going out tonight? It's like, I, it actually makes my. Uh, 
let's just say the chance of me having a kid physically decreases for the next 24 hours. <laughs> do you do this at home? You do. Oh, my God. Do you see that look? No. So we do have the one shot on that one? Yeah. I, I Log that. Because this will be the classic. He's, like, he doesn't want to tell us something, though, because it was the <laughs> best ever. Oh, my God. You do realize at every moment you've got a camera on you. So we could go. And in the chair, that chair is actually like um, a lie detector type where your heart rate, your breathing is monitored. I have access to it now. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if I've been if I had all this stuff and that's why I've been killing you? That when I when I think about you can sense, say this one, he really doesn't believe in this. Exactly. No, I I do believe in it. <laughs> and the heart rate goes up. Oh my god, that would be awesome. RJ, I'd be willing to bet a lot of money on this play. Oh, wh- how about ten thousand, Fez? Long pause. Five hundred's <laughs> good. Yeah, no more. The room. Boom, boom, boom. Perspiration <laughs> dripping off of me. I'm sending out a text. Get me off this play. You notice how he's filibustering here because he doesn't want to get back. Yeah, That's yeah. the most detail I've ever heard yeah, him uh, exactly. using a story. You don't ever say, hey, mama, it's Dame time. <laughs> I don't. So you don't mix metaphors. <laughs> Not at all. All right. All right. So though we don't edit for content, we do time shift for you. So this is not the end of the pod, but it's going to be the end of the pod. You know why? We could not possibly get any more inane. No, we actually can. Last thing. <laughs> we'll talk about Johnny's tennis game next week, and then Johnny's in the week after. But, oh, that's been booked at this point. But <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, by the way, anyone, anyone that listens closely out there goes, RJ will make this happen. Like, you know it will happen. It's just what would happen before Christmas is the only question. But how would you rate the concern for the fact, because in a way you could make the following case. The rich kids are back in school exposed, and the less fortunate kids are home safely ensconced. That seems upside down doesn't it usually in this society the rich kids have the benefit but is it a benefit how are you and mrs fezzik contemplating that i mean it's concerning that your child's going to school he's in a classroom even if there's only 15 people even if they're all wearing masks even if they're all like millionaire parents socially distant they're not all millionaires oh really you you think there's a kid in that school whose parents don't have a net worth of a million dollars uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Few of the kids that their parents work there probably don't. You know, I've seen this movie. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> the help. The kids of the help. <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time you had a minority at this table? Well, listen, what do you think the maid eats? I mean, that's <laughs> literally what you just said. The millionaires. So let's be honest. I'm guessing you're not seeing a lot of canker sores, you know, a lot of this stuff kids naturally have if they don't go to the doctor a lot. I bet there's a lot of st- not a lot of kids with crooked teeth. Not a lot of bad teeth. That is a perfect example. A lot of spacers and the like on. Yeah. Oh kids. yeah. Every move. Right. I mean, they're they're probably getting like a hmm, prescription, like you know, flax if they don't have two number twos a day. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> He's like, what? Two number? Huh? 
So Pencil, how, are you, how are you balancing that? Like in your mind, I'm not talking about what others are saying. In your mind, how are you balancing it? Well, we're... Because obviously you had a choice to pull them out. Was that, was that, now would, are they offering at home, uh, an at home option for kids? No. So there's no. Oh, they forced no, your hand. They forced our hand. And bottom line, Johnny's an only child. So the social interaction, I think, is very important for him. Oh, God, yes. More. I, I don't think right. you're telling enough of the story, but go ahead. Well, I think it should be obvious for anyone who's been listening to our interaction. And here's Fezzik on podcasts and the like. That social interaction probably is something that his son should be encouraged to get. Yes. You know what's funny? I mean, if I could have 10% of any kid's income at nine years old, meaning the rest of their life, let's say there was an auction on it, which would be a fascinating concept. Because I'm at, so Mackenzie, so nine years old, fifth grade, you said, but he skipped yep. a grade. So where did you go to fourth grade? Alexander Graham Bell Elementary. Okay. What I mean is I didn't need you to do, do a recitation of the name. Like, tell me, was it a private school? Was it, like, what it, was it? It was a public school that had a gifted program that you could test into. Okay. But you were amongst the hoi polloi. I, I was in the gifted class actually no, i understand but it wasn't like you, yes, got, you yes. guys weren't like there wasn't like steel walls and chain link fences right no no we battled every day in, in football tag football i'm guessing it wasn't much of a battle <laughs> all right battle might be the wrong word the battle when you're social you flee perhaps but one of them did punch me out of nowhere i remember that second grade what, when you say that. them who are you referring to his name was buddy and he looked poor and he was poor <laughs> You know what's funny? In a way, when someone goes over the top, it kind of disarms me. I don't, I'm not used to that because I'm always trying to get someone towards the truth. That's interesting. I got to think about that. So at what point did you get to the point where, because let's be honest, in some uh, Chicago school that has a gifted program, I'm not anxious to be bidding on their services, to be <laughs> candid. But there gets to be a point where there'd be a true market for 10% of this kid's lifetime earnings, right? Sure. I mean, why would that be a problem? Why are you acting like you're saying something like, I don't know if killing babies is okay. <laughs> I mean, like, what makes you uncomfortable about it? The whole concept of trading for, like, a five-year-old's future earnings for a share of it, it's, it's kind of... Um... But you, I mean, you literally put insurance on kids trying to figure out if they get leukemia, can we screw them? And what percentage of the time can we say they're not under coverage so we can make a profit on this, correct? Yes, the insurance industry, yes. But you were a vice president at one of the biggest insurance companies in the world. Yes. So it's you. You're the guy pulling the power back then. Now you're moving lines. But, <laughs> but the reality is somehow you were okay with that trying to screw a kid out of his leukemia. The kid's already in the, in the ground, and the parents are trying to figure out how to file bankruptcy. And you were like, yeah, send out Fred. He's the tough one. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but somehow you're like, we don't want to bid on. Actually, this is the opposite. This is saying we think this kid's going to be rich. Yep. And you know what? If he is rich, meaning our 10% is worth anything that matters, he's going to have so much he won't miss it. But you know what? His family? Him, his whole, he's almost got an annuity that could make him where he's like, you know, it could be a kid that's bright enough. He might get a thousand a month the rest of his life. So this system could be saving kids from 
domestic violence that stems from poverty, drug abuse. Who knows? A structured settlement early in life to set them up for life. I like it. <laughs> you know what's funny is he's got these terms. I mean, that sounded scary. You know, I've never been scared of Fez because I got him figured out. But if we shifted arenas like and got into his home court, this is his home court. So, But if he had his home court and I wasn't, I'd be a little scared because let's be honest. One of my great feats is making your evilness somehow a joke. <laughs> like we're all laughing and inside you're saying laugh away, buddy. <laughs> but it, I got a little glimpse with that phrase of like, this dude would be a ruthless mofo. Structured settlement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean. Denied. You know, it's weird. Steve hardly ever hits drops, but. Now let's play big bank, take little bank. When he walks in the room and they play that song. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you're like waiting for the, the action. <laughs> and it's like, oh, here he comes. And he just, you see the pompadour just around the corner <laughs> and over the system, the loud speakers. Now let's play big bank, take little bank. Hello, allow me to introduce myself. <laughs> Slow motion. I'm a man of wealth and fame. <laughs> Did you get that, Jack Fest? No. How many lyrics would we have to read before he got it? He likes the stones. Oh, uh -huh. you just gave it away. Well, he probably oh. still didn't give it away. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's how inane we could. No, one more level. There was one more thing I wanted. Oh, so they forced your hand. How much research did you do on alternative schools that were staying home? None. Yeah. I can tell by the way your mouth moved. How much research did the missus do? All of it. Yes. I didn't ask for a percentage. When you say I, none, her, she then, as a complimentary angle, will be the rest. I am sure she investigated the other options, but I don't know the hours she spent. She doesn't fill out a timesheet for you? <laughs> no. That would be interesting. <laughs> She wouldn't know what to do. Like, it'd be like, do I really want to say I spent 19 hours on this? But I don't want to look like I'm watching soap operas. Right. Yeah, I mean, that would be Zugzwang. And what is it? What does it mean? It means that you're in a position where you've got to make a move, but you don't want to move. You want to pass. By making a move, you make your position weaker. Do you ever try to get people into Zungwangs? <laughs> do I try to get someone into a Zugzwang where their move is gonna hurt them? Not uh, planned ahead. See, Fez, when you quit the chess team, you at least quit after you learn, you know, things like that. <laughs> Impressive. Let's agree that you don't know for sure how much time the missus spent, but if you had to make an over-under, and let's be very clear, it was time on, let's just bundle it all together so we don't have to have this conversation again. COVID-related time that wouldn't have been spent if Johnny didn't exist. So if she was figuring out, can you guys go on vacation or whatever, that is time that would have been spent. But this is incremental, the um, marginal time, I guess we'll say, that Johnny was the driving force out of love and, and affection and concern. Two hours a week. That's crazy low. But when you say two hours a week, you mean from March, the middle yeah. of March? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it could be that low. I think the lowest week of all the time was more than two hours, but maybe 210. 
I bet there were weeks she put 15, 20 hours in. You're saying the first week or two, she didn't put 15 or 20 well, hours? Well, certainly there's 10-hour weeks, and then I think there's like a month where she might have spent one hour. Like You're insane. You, you thought there was a month. You spent more time in that watching the concerning spikes, right? <laughs> That's true. I, I wake up and I check what the, the deaths and the new cases are in the country in Nevada, California, and Arizona. Yes. And that's because of Johnny. It is. And you do that till this day. Yes. When do you think you'll ever stop? Like, let's say COVID is, you know, it'll be in a way like measles or whatever, which is at a certain point, there'll be like maybe 23 cases or something. Well, vaccine, certainly it would stop. Once no, we- but it won't because every, you think everyone's going to get the vac- vaccine? As long as we have it, all of a sudden, this isn't going to be a concern. <laughs> 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 the day it stops is the day it doesn't cons- the day that I can't get hurt anymore or precious Johnny. Oh my god. <laughs> now let me ask you this question. It's kind of like Sophie's choice, but it's not. President Trump gives you a call. Or better yet, you call him. Hello, Mr. President. He'll be with you momentarily. Well, there you go. Steve Fezzik's calling. <laughs> Succession. And President Trump comes on and goes, Steve, I listened to you on the Dream Preview, fan, but let's get on to me. No, is <laughs> here's his proposal. He's calling the influential people in the swing states, and he's saying, we got an early vaccine. It's been tested. I've taken it. Melania, it's great. But, you know, I've never done a spoof of Trump. It's kind of funny. So, not funny, really. But he says, you got two choices. One is we have 100% no chance you could get COVID the rest of your life. But there's just one of them for the family. Or we got three 90 percenters. So what it means is all three of you, your lovely wife, yourself, and the future leader of the free world, your son, could all have a 90% chance if exposed to COVID they don't get it. So the 90% only the 10. So the real issue is, would you rather it be that if you and your wife get exposed to COVID, you're going to get it, but Johnny's fine. Or if any of you get exposed to COVID, there's a nine out of 10 chance. It doesn't mean anything. You're fine. It's only 10% of the time, the rare times that you're exposed to COVID does the distinction matter? Would you rather have all three of you almost protected perfectly or leave you and your wife unprotected so the precious Johnny would be 100% protected? What would your choice be? Well, my gut feel is to have Johnny the 100% protected. And then I think about, wow, that's a crazy decision because in many ways, expectation-wise, Utility-wise for Johnny, that hurts him, right? Because he's reliant upon his parents, and he's so young that if he catches— uh, Remember, it, that's not always the case. Yeah, it's not always the case. A lot, of people, a lot of people do better. You know, no, I'm being funny, but you're. I would say this. Okay, I'm changing it. You—all right, here's the, the proposition. The Mrs. and Precious Johnny are protected. You 
have a 95% chance. Now, yeah, that's a way to say. Okay, you're unprotected. Those two are 100% protected. Or all three, you can be 95% protected. So you, so effectively, if you just did the simple math, you're trading minus 15%. That's the three unprotected minus five each or minus 100, right? Because if you think about 95, 95, and 95 is minus 15 from perfection. 100% for Precious Johnny, 100% for the wife, zero for you is 200. So one adds to 285, one adds to 200. Which would you choose? I think the 95s across the board. Really? Yeah. I don't know if John Nash ever figured this out with the equilibrium, but we actually found that you surprised me. I think you surprised the country because I think you would have taken 100% for Precious Johnny because you figure, hey, the missus is there, so he's got one good parent, you know, but you're saying, nah, Fezzik, baby. There is no Fezzik if I'm not here. That kind of, like that, I mean, that was interesting. Were you thinking like, how were you thinking? Johnny needs his daddy and his mommy. <laughs> I mean, this is gold. This... <laughs> you know, Matt, how they have, you know, we talked about this once where a, a big director will come in and write the TV shows, general themes. I could come in a podcast, give me like a day and a half and have their drops for the, re the next 10 years. <laughs> It's almost like we're doing that today. Johnny needs his daddy. Oh my God. Oh my God. I like it. Actually, I like you a lot more because you said that. Not that Johnny needs his daddy. But but you're saying, because most people in your situation that's faking emotion would like they can't even find a point. But here it was the your raging ego in the guise of protecting yourself versus your rage and ego that your progeny is all that important. Mm -hmm. It's like you got, at one point, one's got to win. And really, we should come up with a term that when a narcissist gets old enough that his life is worth less than his child's, it'd be like, you know, even if you were a narcissist, if you're 74 and, you're, you know, your kid's 28, like we could measure how much of a narcissist you are or anyone is, by how old they'd have to be before them dying wouldn't matter, like, an absurd amount. Like, how to figure that out, since we're never going to do this, doesn't matter. That's interesting. At, at Kansas State, where my buddy used to play, this is back, way back, when Snyder was starting, and this isn't politi politically correct, but it, it just is the case. They used to look at heavyset women... And be like, oh, she's a one technique or a three technique. Do you do you know what a one technique is? No. So I know you're not an X's and O's guys, but like in football, like they'll say he's a zero nose tackle, which is there's a you know he got he'll line I think zero is line up straight ahead, right? So one technique is a nose tackle that's going to come in almost like Mean Joe Green used to a, a gap, mm -hmm. you know, like a gap. So as you go out. Like, oh, that's a, I don't know the exact one, but like a seven technique end. Right? So a certain end is going to be with one hand down on the ground, other end, like, you know, who was that Kansas City? Derek Thomas coming in, 
you know, so, but in general, all right, here we go. Mackenzie has it. So one technique is right over the center, or zero is right over the center. And then a two, is that two I? I've never heard of that. Yeah, I've never seen that before. Oh, that's Mackenzie dropping. He knew about this before. <laughs> so now do you get it? It's like, oh, she's a three technique. And what do you think that means? <laughs> I don't know. You, you don't think it means that she's less than, a, like she's slimmer than a zero, one, and two? Oh. oh. You finally got that? Okay. <laughs> she's more of a speed tackler. Mackenzie, you know you're not allowed trying to be funny, don't you? I'm serious. Do you know that or don't you? I, I, I know that. <laughs> yes. I do. You know what we're going to do? You know the $50 fine for talking about picks that you've already made at a better line that we have? Yes. Mackenzie's going to have a trying to be funny, and we'll donate it to charity. Steve, I'll let you decide. How much you know his bank role inside. How much do you think he should get dinged for? Ten bucks. I was thinking 15. Matt, you decide. Should Mackenzie be ding 10 or 15 to charity if he tries to be funny? I'd say 10. $12. <laughs> In fact, $13. The unlucky 13. Now I'm going to let that one pass. You agree or you want to quit? I, it's going to work because I'm, I hate the 13. I got that trictophobia that Fez can pronounce and I can't. Frisk to duck, friskophobia. How much do we find him for acting like he's smart? 15. <laughs> 3.14. Okay. Um, so, my work is done. In fact, I consider this to be extremely successful. We've got about as inane as possible. And you know what? We're all going to benefit from it. When, just think, five years from now, when you hear Johnny needs daddy, when he's crying about his braces being tightened. That's about right, right? 14. Oh, the rubber bands, Danny. What do I do? What would you do? <laughs> Hopefully I do better than I did with his goggles because he's like, Daddy, my goggles keep bunching up. And I'm like, Johnny, I didn't even wear goggles my entire life. Why do you need to wear goggles in the pool? You know something. Many people for many years asked, how can Fezzik ever feel tough? We figured it out. Like, you're like, you sound like the great Santini. <laughs> Matt, you don't know the great Santini. I don't. Look it up. He's going to be like, oh, my God, how did he get that reference? He's going to be, this is going to be like, this will be fawning, I think, actually. We'll wait for the great Santini. How many times in a week do you think you're berating your son for being weak? I mean, I'm guessing my over-under, 17. Oh, no, way less. Not than once a day. More, you're saying less than once a day? I would say three to five times a week. <laughs> I think that's low. You see the great Santini? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 1979 American film. Yeah, we, give us a synopsis to, as we close. Uh, F-4 Phantom Military Aviator, uh, U.S. Marine Corps officer's life contrasts with his shortcomings as a husband and father. Robert freaking Duvall in his prime plays this hard-ass dad. Like, come on, get the garbage. You know, blowing away. He's like major dad, but after like three bad acid trips and nom, I mean, like he's mean. And the son's like ready to shoot him. 
You know, like, it's like a balance. Like, can I kill this guy or do I have to leave? It is a great performance. You know what else is a great performance? Matt, do you have a movie that you love so much? Not because it's great, but because there's something about it speaks to you that isn't well-known, that almost like helping an orphan or something would feel like they, there's no way the universe that I'm doing this so selflessly. It's, a, it's so great, so not great, so good, so positive that no matter what, you don't even need someone to tell you you're doing good by helping this. Do you have a movie that you feel that strongly about? I don't, actually. Okay. I'm not sure I feel this strongly because I overdid it there, but <laughs> Tender Mercies. Oh. Are you familiar? Yeah. It is like, I almost feel like the, I don't even know who directed it, if you, when you pulled it up, but it was a, a small Duval movie. I'm thinking 81. I mean, I was, it was 83. 83. Bruce Beresford. What other movies did he do? Because if Bruce Beresford didn't do other great, like, I would get so depressed right now. Because if, if you could make that movie and not have a career in it, there's something effing wrong with Hollywood. And you know what? We have a guy named Hollywood Matt to be responsible for that. Take full responsibility. I'm not seeing any titles in his filmography that jump out as extremely popular. But how many movies did he do after Tender Mercies? Like more than a few? More than a few, yes. But they were probably Lifetime movies. Crimes of the Heart. Oh! Ah, he did Driving Miss Daisy. Oh! Yeah. Well, then he's fine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Unless they got him on some contract, he probably got screwed on that. <laughs> I, you know, I really want to know, Mackenzie. When you got time, what was the pay, the cash payout, not cap hit, on Driving Miss Daisy's direct? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Couldn't get, couldn't muster a laugh there, Steve. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sweating the end of the basketball game. Well, what's the score? It's 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 two oh five with one second left. One oh three, one oh two. Who's winning? Houston. Oh, are you kidding me? 103 one. I'm going to lose this thing by two points? It's going to cover, but who's got the ball? I don't know. It's actually under review right now. Who's going to have the ball? Yeah, it's out of bounds. It's either, yeah, it's out of bounds. Let me guess. It's either Houston or OKC. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they're trying to determine at the moment. Thanks for the info. <laughs> um, were you watching the game? No, I got the game cast up. And I'm looking at Twitter, too. So really, when you when I get dead air and I ask you questions, we now know why. <laughs> like like that, yeah. Um, so Matt, to close this week's show, and remember, guys, Monday we're recording, so it should be up, uh, and we're going to do it early because well, we'll confirm when we get marching orders. Um, <laughs> Matt, do me a favor and read me verbatim the synopsis of tender mercies and you can pick whatever synopsis. you know like if it's a long one don't necessarily use you know something that's maybe four sentences uh the film encompasses several different themes including the importance of love and family and this goes further into themes well, that well, can't be the good. first paragraph in wikipedia is it <laughs> it's in the uh, synopsis at the top oh really that's one of the first things it says it's in the third paragraph synopsis at the top doesn't get into plot but uh, plot gets into plot, which is 10 paragraphs long. Well, um, let me, I'll give mine. Yeah. Is 
Duvall is like this country singer who made it where he's no. It's funny back then more so, but I guess now with you know so many internet famous people. But like this was the dude that if you were a country music fan, you would know him. You know, like the character. So it'd be like um, you know, like eighties wrestling. Salvatore Belomo. Don't know him. Wow. Okay. Um, I just must show you, you must have been in a weird ear. I mean, because I thought we shared the ear. He was on like every TV tape. He was like a roly-poly Italian guy that would always get beat. Sal and then, you know, the announcer goes, Salvatore Belomo. <laughs> you don't remember him? No. All right, we've reached the pit of inanity. And the comedy find of the year making his television debut, 